0: And welcome to Totally Tintin. I'm Ian Boothby. I'm David Edrick. and uh, we're going to be doing the Crab with the Golden Claws today. Mm-hmm. And uh, where would you say this ranks in your favorites of Tintins? What would you say? Is it middle, top, it's a middle, bottom? yeah, it's a middle, it's a middler, I, yeah. Okay, so uh, if you uh, if you're ranking these podcasts by tops, middlers, and bottomers, then listen to this one in the middle of your listening schedule.
1: Sure. I think they kind of are.
0: Yeah, maybe. Oh, actually, you're right. That is really the only option we're giving you right here. You've got the option. You can mix these up however you want. Uh, Let me give you the premise of the show really fast. I'm getting tired of saying it. You're probably getting tired of listening to it, but... This could be a first podcast for someone, so let's just lay this down. Uh, I have never read Tintin. Uh, I I work as a professional comic book writer. I love comics of all kinds, but I've never really uh, read Tintin in Mm -hmm. the past. Uh, It's been highly recommended by friends of mine. Uh, On the other hand, David... That's me. Yeah, what's your deal with Tintin?
1: Well, I've, I'm a longtime fan of Tintin, a long time fan of Hergé. I love Hergé's art, and I think the stories are peachy keen.
0: Okay, so uh, David is an old timey fella, as you can <laughs> yeah, tell right so now. Reminds. He's sipping on a mint julep, uh, rocking is that back old-timey? and forth. I think a mint julep is pretty old timey. Hmm. It's full of bourbon. Bourbon seems pretty old timey okay. to me. Okay. Uh, it's good that we're mentioning alcohol because that does fit into the theme <laughs> of today's uh, the today's show. Today's show. You're right. uh, so. Again, I am reading these for the very first time, a new person's perspective on this. And David is providing uh, some context, some historical context, some personal context to the stories. Sure. And this is a spoiler podcast, so if you have not read the book yet, we will be providing a lot of details to the story. We're actually going to be going page by page through the story. So if you haven't read it yet, uh, feel free to read it first and then come back. If you want to have things spoiled, and that's the type of person you are, then that's fine. Maybe you can talk to your friends and pretend you read the book when you didn't.
1: That's right. You know, uh, we go are to the a Cole's notes of Tintin. Uh, th-
0: that's right. That only takes you, I don't know, maybe seven times as long to t- to, to hear it as it would take you just to read the thing. Sure. Uh, but you can go to a cocktail party and feel like a big shot after. Yes, this. again, right. we're mentioning alcohol yet again, for <laughs> it is the theme of this book.
1: My so, point was that something called the mint julep should not have bourbon in it because it sounds so dainty. Yeah, And yet it's full of bourbon, which to me does not sound dainty oh, at all. Oh, you think bourbon is a, is a tough
0: guy? It's a uh, tough guy, yeah. I would it's say something... something like gin to me is a tough guy. Well, whiskey, okay. clearly. Uh, but yeah, well, let us know uh, what you all, our gentle listeners, think are tough guy uh, <laughs> drinks. <laughs> sure, sure. So now we usually start the show with a little bit of uh, context and what uh, what's going on. Find out, first of all, what year was this story done originally, David?
1: Uh, so, well, here's the thing. This is no the, one knows. This is it's no, no. shrouded in it's mystery. It's not that it's shrouded in mystery. It's just that it's kind of a complicated story this time. It's not a simple story because uh, when Hergé finished King Ottokar's scepter right. in early August of 1939, uh, he began to prepare his next story. So his, now we were talking last time, the original idea that he had kind of written down in his notebook, and I'll, I'll read it one more time. What he had written down in his notebook was, a gang of international anarchists planned to blow up, one after another, all the great monuments of Europe. Tintin tracks them down to their hideout in the Balkans. So that was the germ of the idea of King Otakar's Scepter. Now, if you've read it, or since we've read it, we know that it really follows very little of that plot idea. That's right. Basically, Balkans is all he got out of that. Right. right.
0: And apparently it was a political satire that I wasn't picking up on.
1: <laughs> That's okay. It, it's no longer, you know, it's not really of the time anymore. You don't right. to, You know, it's not the currency. So, so now, so besides the locale... Really, none of that concept made it into King Ottokar's scepter. So what he, what Hergé decided to do was to remake it for his next adventure. So in light of current events, he decided to change it from international anarchists to Germans. And so he brought back Dr. Mueller, who was the uh, villain in The Black Island, the, okay. the forger, the doctor, who, who was pretty intent on killing Tintin uh, in that book. Uh, and then the explosions, rather than being monuments in Europe... The explosions would be connected to industrial sabotage aimed at the heart of the allied powers oil reserve so that was the idea he was going going for so and the name of the story was going to be the land of black gold so now before he could start on the new story he ended up being conscripted back into the army he'd already done his service you know sort of national service your your obligatory you know year in the army when he was younger but this time so he was an officer already so he was conscripted back into the belgian army and uh now his friend this guy named pierre eeks he suggested that what hergé could do was he would provide eeks with like the plot and and you know kind of like the script and stuff like that and eeks would do the drawings and then he could keep on schedule so not the first person to undervalue how closely Tin, or Hergé felt about Tintin, like how much of the character he felt was embodied by himself. Uh, like he's not a character we'll learn that Hergé would ever share with another person, no matter what they contributed to to the character or to the books. The books would always be Hergé's, to Hergé. So that wasn't going to fly. So what Hergé did was he uh, was able to you know, kind of this brutal schedule of being in the army, doing his military service and doing two pages a week for Le Petit Vantiem. So, uh, and because he was doing that, they actually kept him on salary for that time period. So he was doing his army service. He was getting paid by Le Petit Vantiem and, you know, doing, and doing the drawings. And then, you know, he was... I don't know if we've talked about this before about Belgium, but Belgium is is a country of two. It's kind of like Canada. It has a French-speaking population, mm-hmm. and rather than an English-speaking population, it has a Flemish-speaking population. Oh, okay. Which would be closer to kind of like a Dutch, uh, you know, and if you looked at it, it's kind of, you'd see kind of a Dutch-German look to it. And then the French part, of obviously, is very much like French. Yeah. And so so you have two different regions, uh, both, and, you know, the the country has kind of its... a it's, its you know, it has two languages, two official languages, Flemish and, and French, and that's how it's always been ever since it was formed in the, in the 1830s. So, Hergé was a, a reserve officer and a French, He was in the French infantry. So, of course, being in the army, he was assigned at, to a Flemish uh, machine gun unit. That was so he couldn't really speak to the soldiers he was supposed to be commanding. Oh, okay. And then their job was to go around and requisition bicycles from the neighboring farms. Uh, because those would be very useful in fighting the Germans, obviously. Tank versus bicycle, <laughs> way to go. So uh, so now, uh, he began, like I said, he began the Land of Black Lo- on September 28th of 1939. Okay. So almost a month after uh, Germany had invaded Poland. And so, it's interesting to me that despite the near certainty of Germans, Germany attacking at some point, he starts another story that has Germans as villains kind of vilifying nazism and this expansionism that's going on and it's i think kind of brave in a way yeah you know someone you know even if even if he's not doing it when they invaded finally let's say they took him two years to invade instead of a month or a year or or six months he's you know he's already you know he has this body of work that's you know you know criticizing this this you know so it's kind of interesting yeah agreed in light of what people said about him after the war Mm -hmm. i think it's very interesting um, so I don't know what people said about him after the war, but I will uh, tune into a future broadcast of this show to find out what they said. So after a few months of this, uh, the army was – people were kind of sent home because it was felt that the German threat was not imminent. So after Poland, they kind of felt like everything was calmed down again. Oops. And things weren't going to heat up too too soon. So everyone go home. So the other interesting thing uh, – well, I mean, it's a good example of what was going on at that time, which was kind of a head in the sand thinking about what Germany was because no one everyone was assuming that they were this civilized country that they knew so well this country with the best universities the best educational system in the world you know and so people didn't realize that they were under some sort of hypnotic spell of this weird you know neo-pagan death cult you know that's Nazism like no one realized people thought these guys are going to make logical decisions and are going to be rational when everything they were doing was irrational, but no one understood just how irrational yeah. it was going to get, right? So everyone's making their diplomatic maneuvers and overtures and signing treaties with each other, you know, trying to... Everyone's angling, as usual, typical Europe, right, at that time. Everyone's, you know, signing their their peace treaties and accords and whatnot, not realizing that, you know, Germans, you know, Hitler would just tear them up without without a thought. So, you know, it all was meaningless. So when he promised he wouldn't go into Poland... And then a few weeks later, did you know that should have been a clue, but it wasn't. So people were still kind of assuming it's going to calm down. Germany's got what they want. You know, they've got Poland. They got you know they got the Sudetenland. They got uh, they got the rest of Czechoslovakia eventually. They got uh, the Tsar region. So everything's fine. They're not going to go any farther. So everyone go home, put the bicycles back, and let's all let's all get out of here. And so, um, at this, so a little after he was released from the army, he was uh, actually approached by. Uh, Chiang Kai-shek, the leader of the Nationalist Party of China, who was super impressed with the Blue Lotus mm-hmm. and wanted Hergé to come visit China. And so, Hergé was very interested in that because, I mean, he would see Chiang again, yeah. his friend. And uh, unfortunately, one, he was still, you know, he still had obligations to the army. The army yeah. At any moment, he could get called up. He didn't know. And also, he had obligations to Le petit and Tian, which he just couldn't leave for, for a year and just leave them hanging. So... He he said no. He had to say no, so it was unfortunate. Um, so now in April 1940, uh, Germany attacked Denmark and Norway. So that war was going on. So Erje was uh, he was called up again, but then he was demobilized and given three months of sick leave because he had this terrible outbreak of boils. Oh, okay. And uh, it's not the first time that he, or not the sorry, it's not the last time that he would have this sort of external a uh, sign of inward stress, you know, so that it's kind of a story for yeah. him. So, the body's an interesting thing when yeah, you're stressed. Yeah, it will,
0: it will go on random. Exactly.
1: Yeah. So, and at the same time, he was fired from Le Petit Ventim. He was fired? Everyone was fired from Le Petit Okay, Ventim. I was
0: going, this is a strange person to fire <laughs> from this newspaper. Same so, hey, newspaper, yeah. do you know
1: what you are? Well, what it was what it was... was the newspaper could no, no longer be certain of its supplies. Uh-huh. So getting paper and stuff like that and ink and everything. Right. Or advertising money.
0: So did it cease
1: to be? So no, it didn't cease to be, but it was just giving everyone advanced notice of what was probably going to be coming down eventually. Okay. So it's just saying to everybody, you know, we're giving you notice of termination because eventually we don't know how we're going we're gonna to make it. Right. You know? So I think when you look at... Hergé or everyone's behavior in Belgium, the first thing you have to understand is that Belgium was a neutral country, that King Leopold III declared Belgium as a neutral country in 1936, and he felt that, um, well, he he said himself, he said, Belgium with the other neutral states constitutes a bastion of peace and an element of conciliation, which alone will save our civilization from the abyss toward which a general war would plunge it. So it's hard for us to understand now. Looking back at neutral countries like Switzerland and Sweden and places like that, which seemed almost more collaborationist than neutral. That neutral wasn't necessarily didn't mean non-involvement. What it meant was that your involvement was an attempt to be even-handed to everyone, so that you weren't a belligerent, a belligerent to any country, whether it was Nazi Germany or Britain or whoever. Everyone was approached equally, and that in that sense you were. Uh, a partner who could be a, you could be a media a media between these two warring factions right so if you took someone's side then you were no longer neutral mm-hmm. and so uh i think that herge put too much faith in the, like the idea of belgium's neutrality safeguarding it from from mm. german attack that's possibly why he was writing the stories that he was that he didn't think that they would actually attack um and the reason that neutrality was popular in Belgium was because everyone had suffered so much during World War One that no one wanted to repeat that. Yeah, it seemed so,
0: ridiculous as well. It's, it's like we're not gonna do that again. Yeah. There's no way.
1: Oh. So uh, there was a newspaper, it was a it was a it was supposed to be like a neutral neutral. I don't know what to call it. A neutralist newspaper. Sure. We'll make up a word. Uh, and it was um, called Le Way for the West. Okay. And uh, its editor is a guy named Raymond de Becker. So remember his name, Raymond de Becker, because he'll come up again oh. soon. So, Hergé had known him for a long time. Uh, he'd illustrated um, some books that he, that De Becker wrote, one called For a New Order, which sounds doesn't sound very good, and the other one called Christ the King of Business. <laughs> Both of them have a kind of weird, and he also did, he also did a, a uh, kind of a newspaper called Catholic Action that, okay. uh, that Hergé also did some work for. Now, the thing was... Because <laughs> when you think Christ, you think businessman. Yeah. That's <laughs> the first thing you he think He was of. all about the but, money. You know, do you also think scientists? That's another church, right? Christ the Scientist? Yeah. It's weird. Uh, now, Never Christ the Matador. As it, as it turned out, uh, the, this paper, uh-huh. I think it's kind of interesting, this paper was secretly funded by the German ambassador. So they were funding this neutral, this idea of a neutral country movement in Belgium, and probably in other places too, as a way to keep these countries from becoming involved in, against Germany, or for someone else. So they're just these kind of stones standing in the roadway but they're not doing anything necessarily they're not being listened to by anyone uh so now by may of may 8th of 1940 hergé was able to complete 58 pages of the land of black gold and so on may 9th in the because it was published every thursday on may 9th pages 55 and 56 were published so in that section tintin dressed in arab robes is spying on mueller who catches sight of him through a mirror a hand mirror that he's holding Uh He doesn't know who he is, but he sees this person spying on him. So he sneaks around and attacks Tintin from behind, knocking him unconscious. And then he sees that it's Tintin. So the final page that was published has Mueller standing over Tintin, holding a rifle pointed at Tintin. Okay. The next two pages that were going to be published, they never made it to press. And in those, Tintin is left tied up by Mueller in the desert. And he's slowly being covered by sand. And the final panel is Tintin, only his head is visible, calling for Snowy. And that's the very last page that was drawn by Hergé for that for the line of black gold at that time. Huh. Because the next day, Germany attacked Belgium, Luxembourg, and the Netherlands as part of uh, this plan, um, which I can't remember what it's called now. Sorry. Oh, the Manch- the Manstein plan. Okay. And the Manstein plan was this idea that... So I, you've heard of the Maginot Line in France? Yeah. Yeah, so there's the Maginot Line, which is basically this huge fortification built along the German... French border, right? Uh, where the, Belgium the was didn't work out really well. Well, the thing was, where Belgium was, yeah, there was hardly any defenses there. Mostly because they felt like the the forests or the Ardennes would keep, would wasn't wouldn't allow armored vehicles to go through it, and so they weren't really that concerned about it. So it was a weak point. And so what Germany did was go through, attack the three neutral countries, just ignore the neutrality completely, and then assault the this crash through the Ardennes and then just. Do an end run around the Maginot Line, yeah. and that was that was the end of those defenses, and then it was basically just a you know just a roll through <laughs> through France, but uh, so uh, so two days after that, two days after the attack on May tenth, Ehrgey reported back to his division, but he was still judged as unfit for service, so he um, went back home again. So now either on the advice of Father Lou, who was the uh, monk who had helped with the Blue Lotus. He was the Chinese monk who would helped with some of the research and stuff. Okay. Either he phoned or contacted Erge, which doesn't sound that believable to me. But there's two stories. Or someone from Le, someone from Levantium Siakla called them and said, "German paratroopers are landing 50 miles outside of Brussels. They've taken all the roads. They're going to be here really soon. You better leave." And so, not having been told twice, Erge, Germaine, and their and their cat, their Siamese cat, Taika, they jumped in the car and they just left oh, they headed it. towards France <laughs> so uh, actually stopping on the way to visit Father Lou and Father Nouet, who they had worked with on the, they just stayed there for the, the abbey for a while and then uh, then they drove on from there to Paris and went to uh, Courveillon who owed the money so they got some money there and then they carried on from there uh, down there's this friend of Hergé this guy named Jacques, who had offered the use of his, his home uh, because actually everyone was leaving Breast, uh, Belgium. It wasn't just them. Two million Belgium, Belgians fled when, the, yeah. they, when the, the Nazis attacked. So there's a lot of people flooding over the, the, the border, filling up every possible place you could live. So they just kept on going down to the Averon region, to this little town called Saint-Germain- Le And then they were joined there by Hergé's sister-in-law and niece because his brother Paul was uh, still an officer in the army and was still fighting. So... They joined they they joined them there, so then there was nothing for them to do. They just sat in this country house in the middle of in middle of uh, France, just listening, you know, to the this inevitable destruction yeah. as the Nazis just made their way through France to Paris. Uh, it didn't you know they didn't do it very super quickly, but they did it pretty fast. I mean, they ruled through what May tenth, so I think by May sorry June twenty eighth, I think around there is when. They entered Paris and, and and France, surrendered. So it didn't take them very long to, to do it. So now in Belgium, uh, they, the Belgium also fought, I mean, despite the fact that they were neutral, they did have a, a small army. Unfortunately, it was underarmed and undermanned because they were a neutral state, so they didn't spend a lot of money on, on military. But the soldiers, they fought for about two weeks against the Germans uh, until finally there was like this tiny pocket of the m- remaining and it was just going to be uh, this going to be death. Yeah. And so King Leopold III he attempted to negotiate a ceasefire and when that fell through he surrendered to the Germans. So he surrendered on May 28th and mostly to prevent further bloodshed and destruction and just useless destruction cuz really besides a, a token you know sort of a pyrrhic victory there was going to be no there's no good conclu- you know good ending to what was happening. So now this was a controversial decision because the, the government had left they had gone to England and so he didn't consult with them. he just made a decision on his own to surrender and uh, so now all the you know most of the Belgian soldiers were captured and all of them were the ones that were you know could were put into POW camp so that includes Paul Remy Hergé's brother. so he was gone for the remainder of the war and uh, now the king himself, he could have gone. He could have gone to England as well. Like Queen Wilhelmina of the Netherlands, she went. She she lived in exile in London. But he decided that he would rather stay with his people and, you know, be there and live through this with them. Yeah. So he stayed on. Once again, another controversial decision. This didn't help him later on. But, uh, you know, but he did have like a good effect. So, for instance, he wrote, like in 1942, he wrote a personal letter to Hitler and saved... About five hundred thousand Belgian women and children from being deported to munitions factories in Germany. So it was, you know, he wow. was able to to uh, you know, you know, I guess make some sort of argument for the continued independence of Belgium even under under the Nazi occupation. Uh, so after the war, though, because he had surrendered, and it was you know it was very controversial, and because because Belgium is divided into two different nations, there's people who there's Part of the country supports him, and part doesn't. You know, so the, he's a French-speaking king. So who doesn't support him? Well, the the Flemish area. You know, so they had this. Uh, it was very controversial when he, you know, when he was when the when the occupation ended, and when the British occupation ended, when he was, you know, would he should he come back to his throne? They had a referendum. It was kind of it was a split vote, and it, and he just decided once again to end the conflict. He abdicated. And his son, Baudouin, became the, the king of, of Belgium. So, I don't, to me, though, I don't know. To me, it's, I don't understand. I can understand, well, it's hard to understand the emotions immediately yeah. after the war. How people feel, right? There's lots of suffering and stuff like that. And who do you blame? Well, you know? it's
0: blame, but you also want to do something. And something isn't always the best thing. Yeah, but you want to do something. It's like, clearly something's happened yeah. and there needs to be a response. Yeah. Here's a response. Is it the right one? Doesn't matter. We just need to have a response.
1: Yeah. And he was a beloved king, like he was a really beloved king. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Hergé was a huge fan of of King Leopold III, and they they knew each other la- in later years because uh, King he lived in in exile in Switzerland. The king, and so Erje also spent some time in Switzerland and knew him there. And uh, yeah, he would never Erger would never hear a bad word spoken about the king, like ever. And he would refuse to agree with anyone who said that it was wrong for the king to surrender. Mm-hmm. Like he, there was just an argument that you could not have with him. He would absolutely not listen. It was just, I was a hobby horse of his, I guess. So, and so, uh, Leopold III, he made a radio broadcast, basically telling Belgian people that uh, just come back, return to your jobs, and let's just get back to normal, as normal as we can be, yeah. in this situation, we did it once before in World War One. We can do it again in World we War II. We did it before,
0: and we can do it again. That's right.
1: Yeah. You know, so basically, what he was saying was the war is over for them. You know, Germany. It now occupies the country and so as bad as that is you know it's not going to last forever so let's come back and let's be a true neutral country and let's you know be even-handed and we can you know and in some ways i mean it worked i mean if that was part of what helped save a half a million people from being deported you know then it's good i guess you know in other ways i suppose to britain
0: yeah it's tough to it's tough to say Yeah,
1: to other countries it felt like they just got rolled over Well, the the other
0: the other thing is, you know, I mean, we talk a lot in this in this podcast about uh, caricatures of uh, uh, certain races and whatnot. Yeah, and you and you always go like, well, you got to look at it for the time that they were in. Yeah, you know, and if we're gonna if we're gonna cut any slack for that, then we've got to cut, I guess, some slack for we don't know what it was like then. Yeah, you know, and you know history now, and you know what happened. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. It's you know, no one's got completely clean hands, but you you weren't there, you don't know. No, yeah, yeah.
1: so Hergé was a was a real patriot. Like he was, he was raised in a home that espoused all those sort of values. He was it's, a scout. He was yeah. he was a scout. He loved the king. He loved his country. So on June 30th, when the roads were open again in France, he and everybody packed up their cars or their car and they went back to to Belgium. And so uh, so he arrived there to discover that the Levantium Siakla was gone. It was, closed by the German, it was closed by the Germans because they didn't want a Catholic newspaper being mm-hmm. printed. And so uh, his house was gone. It had been requisitioned by the Nazis. There was a, this uh, some propaganda officer living there. And he also returned to a huge tax bill. So he owed all his money when he came back, and he had no income. So uh, luckily, Kasterman owed him some money. So he was able to get an advance, get paid partly for what he was owed and get an advance to pay off this big tax bill. One thing... It's interesting, I'm, I didn't really realize this, but when uh, Germany had invaded your country, you had to pay them uh, tax for the honor of them living in your country. Yeah. And it was about... a so lot of expenses and taking It was taking about two-thirds. Over. It was about two-thirds of the income of that country. It was <sighs> not a small amount of money.
0: Now, when people were told, come on back. We're all... It's going to be fine. Were they told about this tax bill or was this a surprise when they got there? It was like, oh, yeah, this is tax bill. Uh yeah, maybe I'm going to... Nah, you can't leave.
1: I don't know if everyone faced it. It may have been an actual legitimate tax bill that was... That he owed okay. to the Belgian government that just got neglected by running off so quickly. Who knows, right? Um... So now he came back, and he's doing nothing. He's getting no money in, you know. And as we've learned anything about Hergé is that he did not feel comfortable not working and not earning money. So, you know, he's really impatient to get back to work. He felt that momentum was slipping away from him, you know, that he had built up Tintin to this point, and now no one was reading Tintin, Tintin wasn't being published, everyone was going to forget about him, and he would be replaced by other magazines and stuff like that, you know... um, French magazines were starting to get published again, so Le Journal de Mickey started to appear again, minus its original editor, who was who was Jewish. He had left, gone to gone to America, but the magazine itself was being published. Um, and so, you know, he started to look around for publishing opportunities. So the first thing he did uh, is he came, he made an agreement with uh, the Flemish press press in Belgium, uh, a couple of different ones whose names I cannot pronounce, so I will not try, but one newspaper for the exclusive rights to and flupka and the other had exclusive rights to Tintin. And at that time, there was now three categories of newspaper in Belgium. There was those that continued to publish under their own initiative. Uh, in all, there, was, there wasn't very many of those. There was those that had appeared for the first time. There was nine of those. Most of those would have been very right-wing newspapers that mm-hmm. were collaborationist, that had supported the, the Nazis. And then there were those that were labeled stolen. Because those news- newspapers were confiscated from their owners, and then were published by under German authority, uh, and there was 13 of those papers. And one of those papers was called Le Soir, and it was the most read French newspaper in Belgium. And it was called uh, that. It became called Le Soir Vole because it was the stolen star, the stolen okay. or Solen, the stolen Soir. And uh, so it had a big circulation, though it was about 250,000 readers, so way more than he'd ever had during Le Petit Vingtieme. And he got contacted by the, well, contacted by his friend Paul Germain, uh, who wrote, drew under the name Jam. He got, he, uh, this Raymond de Becker, who did, was the editor of Le Way, contacted Germain and said, "Do you, you know Hergé, right? He goes, yeah. Could you contact him and see if he'll do Tintin for us? Like, their idea was to start yeah. a similar idea to Le Petit Ventil, they This idea is what was called Le Soir Jeunesse. So, uh, a, you know, a install like a weekly supplement for kids in, in, the, in, the, in the paper. So uh, obviously Hergé was contacted by Germain and they made some agreement because in September six or on September six, Hergé wrote to his editor at Casterman. He said, Le Soir has asked me to start up an illustrated weekly for children on the model of Le Petit Ventième. Everything is set. We're only waiting for authorization."
0: Now, who, who owned Tintin at this point? Did Hergé own it? Or Hergé, did, yeah. Oh, yeah. so he just out now, it owned it. Yeah. The Petit Ventim. Did, no. Did they ever own no. Tintin? No. Wow, that's interesting. Okay.
1: No. They had rights to publish, but those were given to them by, by Hergé. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Same way, he could take away the rights from the Petit Ventim Press to continue publishing the books and gave them to Casterman. Right. Right? It was to- totally up to him. Um. So, now, I wanted to read a letter that was sent to, to Hergé at this time. And he kept it in his own papers, because obviously it it affected him. So this was the letter he received. It says, Permit me, sir, as the father of a large family, to express my sorrow and disappointment at seeing Tintin and Snowy appear in the new Soir. Have you thought about the responsibility that you have assumed? Without Tintin, the new Soir Jeunesse would fall flat in six weeks. With your friends, it will continue because we know them, we like them, and will buy the paper to follow their adventures. Then... Little by little, children will come under the new influence. Insidiously and deceitfully, the venom of their neo-pagan religion from beyond the Rhine will be introduced in the margins of your entertaining drawings. They will no longer speak of God, of the Christian family, of the Catholic ideal. Can you agree to collaborate in this terrible act? A real sin against the spirit? So that was a letter that he got from someone. And like like I say, obviously, it it's something about it. He kept it. He didn't just yeah. toss in the garbage can and say, this is so it spoke to him but at the same time he did not listen to this person he continued on and so it's made, made me wonder about collaboration like you know to collaborate with the, with the germans on in a newspaper because mm-hmm. it was a propaganda it was an organ of propaganda it wasn't just a belgium belgian newspaper anymore it was a newspaper that told the news from the point of view of germany right you know it extolled their victories it downplayed their losses it downplayed what Britain was doing, you know, it insulted England, it, it, you know what I mean? So it was completely a propaganda organ. The, the, um, the strip when, uh, the strip when Haddock is first introduced, shared an advertisement for a showing of a German film called Jude Seuss, This this horrible rant against Jewish people. So on the same page as Tintin is being, right. is being run, is this terrible ad. So it's hard, I have a I have a hard time with this decision of of Verger's, too. Mm -hmm. And I understand why. I mean, there were papers that were not. You know, Spirou, for instance, was not run by the Germans. It continued to publish on its own. He could have gone to Spirou and suggested to them, or Spirou, how you say it. He could have gone to them, you know, and I'm sure they would have been happy to take on Tintin. They would have loved to, obviously, because Tintin was the star of you know franco-belgian comics
0: has he uh, is he known for ever having approached someone like that though like it seemed he was approached and yeah. it seemed everything else you've said to me up at this point they approach him yeah. and he would never turn down work yeah but you've never said anything to me that says he approaches someone about work yeah and can we start this project together yeah it might be a personality thing again i'm not justifying in any way yeah no I what's mean, happening and and again it's not my place Really, to con- well, if you want to condemn, go for it. Uh, but it, it's a, it's a really tough one when you've got you know an artist who wants to do their art, yeah. And they're in an environment now that you don't know if it's ever going to end. I mean, we of course look back on it and go, "Oh, you could have just waited years and then it's uh, over, and it's a temporary thing." Yeah. But you don't to know. someone who's who's there, this is what your life is now. Yeah. It's always going to be like this. That's Nothing is going to change.
1: And when and when you think of yourself as a as a worker. Not as an artist, but as an employee, you know, as a journalist. And that's one thing I think, that one reason why he maybe didn't even think of Spirou, to even consider it, was that when he started working in newspapers, that he wanted to be a reporter. He didn't want to be a cartoonist. Mm -hmm. And I think he always saw himself as a newspaper man, you know? So but he was an editor of Le Petit Vantiem. He wasn't just a cartoonist there. He was also, he produced, yeah, he, did everything. he wrote copy. Yeah. He wrote, you know, so he was a newspaper man through and through. He loved the smell of ink. He loved to go out to the printing plant and, 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 you know, and talk to the workers there. And he's one of the few, few people actually at Le Soir who regularly went out where the, the newspapers are printed. And it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's uh, curious. I mean, it's just, it's hard. I mean, yeah, like you say, you can't, it's hard to judge someone. From this amount of time back to chronologically go back in time and condemn someone for decisions that were made, their decision making is made with this amount of information. I mean, we have so much more information than Hergé had about what was happening, Mm -hmm. what the Germans are doing, what was happening even in Belgium. Right. What was happening, how long the war would last. You know, all those things that we know. Yeah. As far as he knew. And
0: we're you know. when we're saying this, I know it sounds like we're in, we're justifying. It's not justification. It's just putting throwing out all the factors there in a row. And I think if you we could make a nice list yeah. of artists uh, in times where they could have rebelled against the government, but they artists just kept singing their songs, writing their books, yeah, doing their things. That's true. Uh true. And you know, hey, however you want to feel about it is probably the right way to feel about it. So. Go ahead and do that. This is all new information to me, by the way. Yeah. So oh. I'm hearing this for the Sure, f- I understand for the first time. Her-
1: now this is weird because And if I wanted to justify okay. it, I could easily not bring it up. You know, I can just leave it out of the show entirely. No, I
0: don't think you could do that. I don't think that's you at all. I think there's personality traits that Herge had, uh, and there's personality traits that you have, and I think you've got to give everyone all the information. I think you couldn't keep it up. <laughs> it's possible. Yeah. It's possible. But, you know, I, here's the weird thing. When I read this story, The Crab with the Golden Claws, yeah. I thought, well, this is going to be a quick one today, because it's such a simple, breezy story. Yeah. Like, it's just... Right straight through. Well, that's it. You know, it's introduction of a new sure. interesting character, but that's about it. And mm. uh, everything else moves along like a greased bullet. It's just going. But uh, had no idea all this was going on, so.
1: Well, it, like if you think about, so this is basically the start of a new era of Tintin. Like, he
0: never wrapped up that other story. That Tintin is still in the desert with his head poking out of the sand he, calling for something. He snow. did wrap
1: it up, but I mean he had to radically change it because it wasn't wrapped up till after, much after, well after the it, war. What story did, what did it become? The Land of Black Gold. Oh, okay. So all look, right. It's uh, right there.
0: Okay. So quite a ways. Dave's down pointing the line. right now to uh, the back of the book yeah, where lists all the things. When Dave when Dave points at things, I have to mention that <laughs> sure, because do. He, this is only his five yeah. hundredth time doing a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> we at can make this a video podcast sure, if you'd prefer. Okay. okay. All right. Uh, so We'd have to comb our hair and wear pants.
1: So, yeah. So now what Hergé wrote and drew had to pass a German censor. So that's why that book could no longer be ah, worked on. okay. So he withdrew. Uh, what's funny is that King Ottokar's Scepter was never censored by the Germans. The Black Island was censored because it was based in, in England, or in Great Britain. And uh, Tin in America was censored because it was based in America. Two people that were fighting against, or eventually in terms of the case of the americans by the way america also declared its neutrality uh before the war in 1939 Uh so it wasn't just little european nations that wanted to not take part in this giant fight it was also a country as large as the united states who took a stand of neutrality although there was the lend lease program that was kind of a backdoor aid but anyway um so so now here had to come up with a new scenario that didn't involve germans that didn't involve german sabotage and uh, could pass, this, pass uh, the German censor. So, if you look at Hergé, like okay, through the thirties. So after the initial juvenilia of Soviets in Congo and to degree Tintin in America, after that, his stories attack the far right and attack militarism. So he really had to. Or at to least satirize it. Satirize it. it. But in anyway, yeah. a way, sat- a sat- sat- satire is attack. Yes, it is. It might be mild. He's doing children's stories. It's races. not
0: mild, it's deep, but it uh, <laughs> looks like it's humor. So it looks like it looks like a gentler punch than it is. Yeah. Yeah, it's a good way to do it.
1: So now what Hergé had to do was follow his king, mm-hmm. which, you know, he was going to do anyway, but had to follow him and practice a kind of a studied neutrality. So he had to be a very constant. Like he had to think about it, how to write these stories in a way that wasn't offensive to anyone. And. Always
0: good. Always good for an artist to, uh, yeah, to that not was be offensive of, to anybody.
1: So his stories could no longer satirize politics. Nope. So now he had. So now he moved into what became basically character comedy. So it really was a new phase in terms of what you know how he was developing as a, as a storyteller. Um, and so. He, and we're anti uh, drug dealers here. Well, basically that. I mean, that's kind of. I mean, he chooses a very safe, the neutral kind of area of French Morocco. Mm-hmm. Uh, inspired there's a book called the white squadron that was very popular at that time it was a french book and uh, he for sure read it or at least saw the movie that was that was also came from it so there was that that was based in morocco and had that kind of element of the desert and stuff and also *Bojeste*, the film i don't know if you've ever seen that film yeah. it's been made about four different times yeah and there's up a famous until, book.
0: until the uh, film the last remake of bogest
1: that's right then everyone stops yeah once you do that uh, yeah, so so he had, you know, those as kind of inspiration. And then he kind of goes back to the drug smuggling motif, that kind of part of Cigars of the Pharaoh. And so, Crab with the Golden Claws began serializing in Le Soir, in Le Soir Jeunesse, uh, in, on the 17th of October, 1940. And it, uh... But what happened was, because it's war, they're running out of paper. And so, in, on the 8th of May 1941, uh... The, the shortage of paper, they had to cut the supplement by two-thirds, so so reducing Tintin to one page. So instead of his traditional two-page spread, mm-hmm. he was down to one page. And then on the 3rd of September, 1941, the supplement disappeared completely, and Tintin began to appear on the actual pages of Le Soir. This is where I think it gets really tricky for, for Hergé. It's one thing when he was working in a children's supplement, uh, he could kind of claim some in, some independence from the actual right, story. Now, you're soire. Actually in the now he's actually in the paper, but it wasn't his choice. I mean, it was just what how it kind of fell down. To, right. to, uh, so, yeah, he began to appear in the in the soire. and it was just a daily strip. So it was just a one one line strip, just like you see in, in any newspaper. So for the first time, he was kind of copying American strips, which he liked like quite a bit, but had never really done them in that way because he'd always done these full two page. Oh,
0: Wow, interesting. Okay,
1: and so um, yeah. So we can talk a little bit, let's, let's stop the, let's stop the uh, we'll stop. We'll stop the war now. I want to get off. We'll stop, the, we'll stop the war, we'll just let, we'll talk a little bit about the publishing history after we're done. Okay. Because I feel like I've just contexted everybody out, out of shape. <laughs> but it's a lot, because there's a lot to talk about, right? right? I mean, it's in the middle of a war, he started one story, had to stop, you know, didn't pick it up for another eight years. And carried on doing other stuff. Wow, I'm in,
0: I'm interested now in getting to the actual Black Gold story later on and talking about that one too. Yeah. Uh, so okay, so I went through some interesting well, changes as well. So when I when let me just give you a couple of just initial things w- with my read-throughs here. Uh, the the biggest one is every week it feels like we uh, we make the same mistake. What's that? Which every 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 show. Yeah. We say, well, that was the last time that Tintin was a reporter. Now let's move <laughs> on. And then every week Tintin's a reporter and in this one Tintin's a reporter again yes he is at the very end of the story uh the news is uh, talking about Tintin and saying and, and thanks to the young reporter Tintin uh they they wrap up Oh they just up.
1: don't know they
0: don't know <laughs> the news doesn't yeah, know they're the just news behind doesn't the know about uh, they haven't caught up yet yeah the news doesn't know about reporters the S- news was a lot snow- slower in those days okay fair now. enough but let's just say, to get ourselves uh, uh, into yet another jam, this is the last time Tintin's ever a reporter.
1: Now, the other thing when I was reading through... Oh, I just wanted to say one go, thing before oh, you start, start me, talking about, No, please. Because you are a writer for Simpsons Comics. All right. Did you know that this book appeared on The Simpsons? Oh, was
0: this the one that was uh, on The Simpsons?
1: Yeah. Uh, Bart's holding it, and in in, uh, there's one where they go to Ireland. Okay. In, I think it's called, like, In, I the, know name, this one in the Name li- of the Grandfather. Uh, Lisa. Lisa one is a made-up one called Tintin in Paris. Okay. But in this one... They go to they go to Ireland, yeah. and there's a scene where uh, Bart puts down Belgium, and then his mum gets mad at him and says, "You know, if you don't like Belgium so much, I'll take away your Tintin comics." And, and then it shows Bart holding the the crab with the the golden claws, saying, "Ah."
0: Oh, nice. Yeah, okay, yeah. I have to find that clip. So very neat. All right, two two things real quick. One, uh, the uh, I was surprised by all the splash pages in here, but they seem to be explained by what you're saying about uh, yeah the the, the the numbering being uh, different. Splash pages meaning uh, a page that is just one yeah. image. It oh. feels like a variety sure. of covers. Uh, yeah. s- spliced throughout and, and the... And some of the
1: much better covers than the actual cover. I hate this
0: cover. That was yeah. my third point, was <laughs> this to me is is by far the worst Tintin cover there is.
1: Why, why do you say that? Well,
0: because you look at Tintin, yeah. and look at the color of his skin, yeah. he's the same color as the camel. Mm-hmm. And then the camel, Uh, they've got uh, the... Ca- maybe a lot of it is to do with coloring, but it just looks yeah. so lazy. Yeah. Uh, The the camel's eye, Uh, the whites are blue, and they're the same blue that the sky is, and it looks yeah. like you're looking through the camel's face. Sure. It's just it's just really really lazy, and the the images of the the little guys shooting their guns in the background just looks like, it looks like what kids would draw. It's almost like when people draw birds and they put yeah. M's in the sky, you know. It's just what's what's that about? And then and then yeah, as you say, you look through the the book and there's so many of these uh, images that are uh, that are really beautiful that yeah, would be the perfect. Fa- the
1: fantastic one would be the seaplane flying over them as they sit. As you said, on the upturned boat.
0: Right. I would even take page forty, which is tinted, running through. Yeah, the Yeah, I like that one too.
1: They're the running through the marketplace. Yeah. It's a but dr- even that one is good. Like even them walking through the desert. I mean, it's perfect. It even has space for the title. Well, that's and everything. the thing. Now we're
0: talking. What page is that one on, Dave?
1: That's on twenty-nine.
0: All right, page twenty-nine, and that one has one of my favorite things that Snowy does, which is uh, checking us out. Yeah, looking at us, giving yeah. us a direct look, which yeah. which bothers me in the story. I don't like tinted. I don't like Snowy looking at me directly in the story. Mm-hmm. But on a cover, I'm absolutely fine with that. Interesting.
1: Well, what happened there was because of the, yeah, because of this sort of jumbled publishing situation, when it came time for him to chop them up and reformat them into, because it was only 104 pages when it was published as a, as a book in, uh, by Casterman, yeah. as a black and white version. Uh, so when he went to cut it up and reformat it for the, the black and white one, or the color version, he actually only had 58 pages. And so he had to add four pages to bring it to the six, the full 62 page so Herge, needed.
0: Herge drew. Yeah, those he drew extra those four pa- those four splash panels. Yeah, and yeah, and then later on drew this terrible cover. Okay, well that's <laughs> fine. The cover is is the worst cover there's ever been for a tintin. But the cover I don't get think ba- it's the worst. It's, it's oh, pretty bad. because you dislike the Blue Lotus more.
1: No, I don't like dislike the Blue Lotus more. But I dislike the Secret of the Unicorn. I do not like collage covers, and that is that that uh, is a terrible collage cover. And I don't like the Seven Crystal Balls just because it's uh it's a they're floating in the green air. Okay.
0: So, Fair enough. If all they had
1: right. drawn a room, if they'd given it some of that really yeah. great Hergé room, that would be a great cover. Well, okay. But as it is, it's, to me, that one falls as a lazy Once cover. Once again, as well. let,
0: us, let us know. We all like to know what you yeah, think. We so. think
1: we're so great. <laughs> criticizing uh, Erj, well, we're just criticizing no. the master of bande right? The, sort of the the father of God, the father you of you know. Uh,
0: do you know why? Because he raised our comics? standards up. So when the standards yes. are lowered, That's we true. have to say something. That's so there true. you go. Yeah. All right. Um, so we're going to go uh, page at a time now. Sure, sure. Let's do her. Uh, we're up on to page one and uh, starting again, not with uh, Tintin going out on assignment. Yeah. Uh, Begin again. The last uh, the last issue. Uh, the uh, uh, King uh, uh, uh scepter. scepter. Yeah. Um, it looked like Tintin was uh, fired from his job and was just bumming around the park. This continues. Yeah. It looking like Tintin is unemployed right well, now.
1: Well, it's kind of fun because this, this started with the broken ear, basically. Like the broken ear, he just gets up in the morning, he's doing his calisthenics in his in his Chinese pajamas, and here's the news, and then he kind of goes, "Oh, well, that sounds interesting. I'll go and check it out." Yeah. And then, uh, yeah, I mean, and then the Black Island, he's just walking, he's going out on a walk sees a plane going down, sort of interested, walks over to see what's going on yeah. and gets shot. You know, so each story, you know, after that point, kind of...
0: This one, though, t-
1: uh, Snowy
0: is rummaging through garbage because he apparently is hungry. Or maybe he's just a moochy little dog.
1: And to be fair with uh, Cigars of the Pharaoh, I mean, he's only going on a cruise. It's not a cruise of adventure. He's just planning to go to these visit these right. places. He's not, he's not saying, let's go on a cruise and we'll have lots of adventures and and chase drug smugglers. Just... Well, to me,
0: it does seem like he's lost his job and is just killing time during <laughs> the to day. Now, really nice uh, business with Snowy, uh, getting his face stuck in a can. A mm-hmm. lot of nice uh, animated images there Poor yeah, yeah. little Snowy. And uh, getting a good scolding from uh, Tintin for uh, going through rubbish bins.
1: Yeah, this is an interesting part. Uh, it is always interesting, the start of these books, because... You know, we know that there is uh, should be a cliffhanger per page uh, if following the two-page model. Yeah, two pages equals one page of color, Uh, but it's hard to see where the cliffhanger was there because his nose is in a can. Yeah, that's not really a what. So it's just you know, you know, just a funny bit of business, I guess. So,
0: so uh, then we're moving on to. uh, There's a
1: lot of that in the story too, actually.
0: I do like that uh, that uh, Tintin's concerned that he could have uh, cut his face on the uh, jagged edges of yeah, the can. Like That's something that. a real dog owner would do. Just yeah. like, hey, easy, buddy. Careful with this. I feel that with my cat, too. If it's yeah. like going for a can of cat food, hey, man, easy. <laughs> That's sharp. So uh, throws out the can because there's no recycling back then. Yeah. And uh, gives him a little uh, scold saying, you know, might have to put you on a muzzle yeah. in the it,
1: lead. It looks literally like an ash can. Yes,
0: it does. Uh, and, uh, and Snowy does not like the idea of wearing a muzzle. Uh, but he gets waved over by his friends, Thompson and Thompson, yeah. uh, who are over at a bar having a, a drink. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, we're not sure what they do. We know they're certified detectives, and we leave it at that.
1: Well, they haven't brought that up in this, but this was... Yeah, this, oh, they do in this. This was a second book translated, so I think they carried carried that on and then stopped it.
0: Right, and as you as you said, it's a little confusing because in past issues... They do a little bit of clever business with the "to be precise" gang, yeah. which is the to, uh, one person says something. Uh, we're going to see a house, to be precise, and then someone will, uh, the yeah. other one will say something that's I'm similar. A louse. Yeah. Well, not even I'm a louse, but we'll say something that actually yeah. reveals more of what they're saying. It's very clever. In mm-hmm. this case, it's uh, "I'm a house, to be precise, I'm a house." <laughs> they say exactly the same thing, so yeah. we're we're still on that. Yep. Uh, they wave uh, they wave him over, give him a nice slap on the back, a painful slap on the back. And he returns the favor with a little bit of more comedy business, uh, <laughs> spilling their beers into their faces when he gives them a little slap back. But good times had and, by all, and moving have,
1: on. And to me, that may have been the stinger for that for that week.
0: Yeah, it looks like he's he's doing a he's he's not doing an adventure strip as much as a comedy strip. Well, like right we say,
1: now. I mean, it's going to be more about character comedy now, and less about less about commentary, and less and less. Uh...
0: Now, how many years has it been since Tintin would have been published anywhere when this is coming out? How many years? Yeah. Or was, has it even been years?
1: No, it hasn't been years. It was maybe... So this is... Uh, what did I say? So the last one was May the 8th. Yeah. 19... Yeah. Uh, I have to go back in, in time. Sorry. Okay. Well, you, you don't even have to. I you mean, do that and I'll just... You talk You talk and I'll figure it out. Well, why I'm saying so this I just is... Have to look back through my it fe- notes it that feels, I've spread all over the place.
0: It feels to me that you know this isn't the worst thing to do if you're reintroducing a character and you're getting a new audience and you're in a new paper okay. yeah. is we're going to start off with a funny bit of business with the dog and now here's a couple of new characters as well Thompson and Thompson what are these guys about well they're comedy characters we're going to do some comedy bit here, all right.
1: Now we get so, that. And some, yeah, May eighth, nineteen forty, was the last appearance. And this, and this one was sort was... of published October seventeenth, nineteen forty.
0: Okay, so it's not that much time. No. but it is a different paper, and it's, uh, it's kind a different of...
1: paper. It would probably felt like a lot of time had passed by this point. Yeah, movie, it's, it's so many, but it's so many a, changes. But it's a nice
0: way to introduce these characters mm-hmm. before you get right into the adventure. Yep. So you know, after we've done our comedy business, uh, Tintin looks at them and goes, uh, "Well, now what's going on? Now we're going to get onto the plot." That was good. We did some. Are sta- we? I
1: don't know. Are we going to get onto the plot? Well, Cause once... it's, it's interesting here. The, I mean, we have, I'm talking to the Thompsons, they say, you know, we're on, they're on a very important case, to be precise, a very important case. Mm-hmm. And uh, they are looking for counterfeit money, they tell Tintin. And then, of course, because of the Thompsons, one of them has counterfeit money that they haven't, after bragging that, of course, to the, to the average person, the money looks the same, but to professionals like them, they can tell right away. Q waiter coming over and give, getting given a, uh, a 45 or a 50 pence piece that's a dud. That is a dud. That
0: clunks on the table when it's thrown. Yeah. Good waiter drawing, by the way, on this. I like uh, I <laughs> like super that supercilious
1: His nose stuck in the air. Yeah,
0: yeah. I like yeah. him. And I like his ruddy complexion.
1: Yeah. And then, uh, but what's weird is that, so they talk about this. They go back to the Thompson's apartment or their, wherever they work to look wherever through. Wherever
0: they hang their hats. Yeah, wherever They're they hang their hats do. and
1: place their walking sticks. They, they start showing tint in these papers. We have some more business Yes, we're going to say that a lot through this. There's a lot of business in this this Uh, Yeah, you know,
0: one of the Thompsons runs out, forgets his walking stick, runs back. Other one's trying to return the walking stick. They smash into each other. It'd be terrible if you then saw at night sometime them nursing their wounds and, like, really actually in pain. Yeah. Uh, These guys fall a lot and get hurt a lot.
1: And that's indicative of the change in these stories is that now we've, two times, we've had uh, the end, the end of the, the, is a gag. Rather than it being a cliffhanger, that Tintin is in peril or something exciting is going to happen it's just a gag so either the the uh, Thompsons getting their faces smushed into into beer foam or them smashing into each other yeah it's a change from what we saw before
0: Well what what this feels like now that you're mentioning, you know, that there was this big change, when I read this story, it did feel much lighter than the other ones. There was more danger around every turn for Tintin, you know, him walking around a corner and getting shot and put in the hospital immediately. Yeah. yeah. And in this one people are just doing, you know, nineteen twenties film shtick. Yeah. You know, which is which is fine. But it looks like, yeah, they're just taking a lighter a lighter tone with this story, so You know, you can end with some slapstick instead of ending with uh, Tintin mortally wounded and then shaking it off as he seems to <laughs> seems to do. So,
1: Leaving the hospital four days early. Yeah,
0: with the doctor going, you can't possibly leave. So long, Doc. <laughs> and then being absolutely fine as he gets this, another bullet. Yeah. So uh, uh, the Thompsons uh, catch up with Tintin, uh, ask him what the matter he fills them in on the whole uh, thing about this uh, scrap of paper. It matches the can that I saw before. They look through the uh, ash can, as you say. Uh, check a guy's bag. No no dice. Uh, we got a nice little line about, uh, you know, it's uh, fishy. Uh, but unfortunately then it's, to be precise, it's fishy. It's too bad. It seems like there could have been something and then yeah. actually a joke there about it being fishy. The Thompsons from earlier would have made that joke. The Thompsons from later would have made that joke. We're in that sweet spot, of- but they just repeat what they say. Yeah. It's too bad.
1: Like I say, this was one of the... Uh- this was very early on in, in Michael Turner and Leslie Lonsdale-Cooper's translations of the Herge book. So 1958, yeah. they did this book and King Otakar's Scepter. And so both of them suffer, I think, a little bit just from their, they hadn't had much experience with the stories. So they didn't really know how to approach them. And you see that in their... In their uh, It's a kind of flat translation. We'll see that with Captain Haddock as well. We'll talk about that in a bit. Okay.
0: All right. Now we're introducing a new character, asking what the fuss is about. And he's an Asian gentleman. We don't know if he's Chinese or Japanese, but he is definitely Asian. Well,
1: he's definitely Japanese, if we go by the drawings from uh, The Blue
0: Lotus. Fair enough. Uh, You know that. Other characters in this story will not know that. So I'm (laughs) going with the the idea that he's drawn in a way that could be either way at this point, because that's what other characters say. So, uh, you know, he's interested in this whole Crab Tin uh, situation, and we're going to go next page, to Yeah, and and so we end on that. The audience goes, oh, who's Hmm. this fella? Who's that Uh, fellow, and what's Oh, what's going on with this guy? Yes. All right, so uh, Tintin's going home. We take the time to hang up his jacket. There's a lot of just, I'm going to do this. Now I'm going up the stairs. Now I'm hanging up a jacket. doesn't seem we need to see all that. Well,
1: to me, it feels like, yeah, it feels like filler. Yeah. For sure. This whole sequence feels like filler. Yeah. It feels like he didn't quite know what to do. You know, he's drawing this. He, you know, he's just, yeah.
0: Basically, the first half of this page is walking home a little annoyed. Yeah. Walking up the stairs a little annoyed. Hanging up his coat. Yeah. Going, now let's have a look at this paper. Yeah. All right. Looks at it.
1: Gets his magnifying glass. Wait, don't
0: quite see everything on the paper. Yeah. Put the paper down. Go into another room to get a magnifying glass. Well, that's not the most exciting no. first half. Going back with a magnifying glass, yeah. and uh, and we see, oh, Snowy's got a bone again. That's a, <laughs> it's too bad. Uh, picks He's up the bone. T- takes
1: the bone away from him.
0: Puts the magnifying glass down. Uh, goes back with the bone. No, he uh, puts it in the garbage can. Oh, that's right. He makes the old mistake he, of he he yeah. throws the magnifying glass away. He's holding the bone. Yeah. He's uh he's a little bit uh you know da, da, uh the, but then it's gone uh is the the crab paper sure did I leave it in and my study and that kids, was the stinger oh did you did you relax kids are you too excited from this week's <laughs> yeah. almost looked at some paper yeah, that's right. relax
1: exactly yeah.
0: you might be used to tintin you know, uh, fighting uh, three men uh, when he's in prison about to be
1: shot, but... Uh... No, it's very low-key. I mean, so the, the, then we have, like, so let's pretend we're the next week. We have Tintin walking, opening the door, holding, still carrying the bone, thinking it's a magnifying glass. Yeah. There's a huge Which crash. Which is kind of funny.
0: I'm all for that. Yeah, yeah,
1: it's great. Uh, I it's, I put enterta- entertaining time-wasting is what I put so, as a note on this page. You so. know what?
0: Maybe I will withdraw this a little bit. I withdraw my liking. Well uh, Here's the thing. When you've got uh, characters in a story who do certain things, you shouldn't have other characters do that same type of comedy. And to me, that is a Thompson and Thompson bit. They would pick up the magnifying glass, get the bone, make the mix-up, and then be, and then they'd fall backwards. Tintin. I get that you're doing this with Tintin, yeah. But I, I don't think Tintin is the kind of guy to do the absent-minded kind of thing, unless there's a reason, unless he's sleepy, unless there's something. Yeah. He's sharp. He's on the case, yeah. and he's, uh, you know, it'd be like Sherlock Holmes. All of a sudden, picks up a bone <laughs> instead of his uh magnifying glass. It's like,
1: but is he? Him, but the difference between Tintin and Holmes is that you never see Holmes make a mistake, whereas Tintin is always clonking himself in the head, uh. Jump, missing, jumping onto the back of a right, car. But it's, There's it, a lot of stuff that he does Tintin that's not... If
0: Tintin walks into a door like, not like Thompson and Thompson do, Yeah. Then, and then what's the point of Thompson and Thompson? You take away no, that, their bit. Yeah,
1: yeah, no, no, that's true. All right. Uh, so yeah, so he... Then a door slams. or Here's a crash. doesn't know what it is. He realizes, oh, the wind has closed the door. Ah, come to think of it, maybe the piece of paper blew away in the wind. He finds it laying on the floor. Now it's time to take a look at it. <laughs> what happened to my magnifying glass? Snowy brings it to him, and then we see Snowy hiding behind the couch chewing away on his bone with a big scowl looking at Tintin, who is you know also kind of peering or scowling while he peers through his magnifying glass at this piece of paper and the end of the week, the end of this week being the spelling of the name Karabujan right that's that's our sting okay. let's pretend that's where it ends. We don't know for sure but yeah uh,
0: I mean uh, to me this looks like Tintin the senior years. This is the kind of adventure you'd have there. <laughs> yeah. With a lot of, like, mistake. Actually,
1: I know that you don't like it. I actually, do I like it a lot, because I like Tintin not to be perfect. I don't like when characters become too perfect, and that's one thing Erge was, I think, very good at, was never. he never allowed Tintin to become an absolute paragon of perfection. Mm-hmm. He always had a little bit of, to err as human, and that's, sure. that's great, you know. So uh, Tintin is now, he spelled out the name, he's thinking about it, he's and, and the he name is... Karabujan. Karabujan. And then... That's uh, an Armenian name. He hears a cry for help, two cries for help. He runs to his window, looks outside with a great shot, great bit of perspective. Yep. And got let's give it let's give it to Erge, Self-taught artist, never went to school, really good at drawing perspective. Sure. Yeah, that's really good. He's good at...
0: He, he, all right, listen, the thing he's the best at yeah. is... And we'll have this in the next page. Tintin putting on his coat as he runs... <laughs> That's the best thing t- that Hergé draws. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Cuz you know how hard it is.
0: Oh, it's so, but he does it so well. Yeah, it's like yeah. things are about to start. Here we go. Yeah. Okay, so
1: Tintin going down the stairs. Yeah. He finds his uh landlady. landlady, Mrs. Finch is down there, and uh so she says she someone was kidnapped. It was either a Japanese or a Chinese gentleman who had a letter for Tintin, but was unable to deliver it to Tintin because he was attacked outside the door. Three men got out of the car, dragged him away, and uh that was it for the Japanese slash Chinese gentleman.
0: I know. It's weird when he's... Then later he's going up the stairs going, a tin, a drowned man, five counterfeit coins, a cariboujin, a Japanese, a letter, a kidnapping, a real Chinese puzzle. Yeah. Yeah, especially if it's a Chinese person and not a Japanese. That's... like I get that it's a Chinese puzzle. It's weird that he goes with a... no, it was a Japanese. Well, we didn't hear that. It's either Chinese or Japanese. Well the one.
1: last thing Mrs. Finch said was ch- Japanese gentleman, so it may have put him in his put it in his mind. Well, except earlier that in
0: that same uh, you know. Yeah, but that's not the last thing word. I heard. Okay. I don't think Tintin just takes the last thing he hears, you know, as as that. Well, okay, fair enough. So he
1: re- the next morning he receives a call from uh it looks like it's Thompson. Yeah. Uh <laughs> it is Thompson, yeah. Without a P. Yeah, I understand. And uh who tells uh, Tintin they found they found this uh, they found out who the sailor was who because I don't think we mentioned that that the reason that Tintin found the saw this wrapper was that it was in the the contents of a pocket of a sailor who had drowned. Okay. So they find out the sailor's name was Herbert Dawes and that he was a sailor on the ship the Kerboujan. Right. Tintin is surprised because that's the name that was on the crab wrapper. So it's
0: time to get his coat on. It's time to get his coat run. on.
1: And let's go as and quick as we can.
0: Snowy is excited. This is like Batman getting into the Batmobile. Yeah. This is just, it's, and now we're on it. And that's yeah. Spider-Man jumping out the window and going thwip. Here we go. So Tintin's uh, off to the docks, sees the, the caribougeon. By yeah. the way, a nice dock, well drawn, really good boat. Yeah, I think
1: one of the, an early, uh, early sign of, uh, well, one of the many signs, I guess, of uh, Hergé with his photo is... Uh, Photo archives, using his uh, photo reference here Okay. to draw the back of the ship.
0: Fair enough. Uh, noticing the seagulls, and thank goodness uh, Tintin was looking up at the sky, because uh, uh, a crate was falling, and if he wasn't looking at the sky, he would have been killed. Yeah. You know, uh, but luckily uh, luckily he wasn't. Uh, what's it full of there? It's full it looks of Looks like sardines. Of sardines. Yeah. That would be a terrible... Yeah. But luckily he was looking up at the time. Uh, the Thompsons... But uh, for the
1: first time, a sardine tin is easy to open.
0: You know what? I've had enough of your sardine tin bashing. <laughs> you know, this is neither the time nor the place Yes. for that. Okay. All right. So, uh, <laughs> uh, the Thompsons uh, show up. Well, let's just talk about before that. Oh, please. That, no, go after ahead. The,
1: after the uh, crate smashes down, we see two uh, gentlemen the on the boat. Shifty characters. Two shifty characters. Oh, now, those guys. So, the, the one gentleman is uh, Alan, who, this is actually his first appearance in, in Tintin. Which one is Alan? He's the one wearing the peaked cap. Okay. With a flat nose. So we saw him, but we saw him in the Cigars of the Pharaoh, only he was retroactively added to Cigars of the Pharaoh. Oh. So, in order, because he want, because uh, Hergé wanted him to be a henchman of Rastapopoulos. So we added Ellen to those stories. Originally, it was just some nondescript nobody who had the role that Ellen played in the Cigars of the Pharaoh. So his original name was Ellen Thompson, and that was dropped because they realized, because the Thompson and Thompson was such a great name for mm, the English version yeah. of du- Dupont and Dupont that uh, they quickly just got that out of the way this turned him into Alan yeah. so I always, think of, I always thought Alan was his last name and I guess that's how, how, what it was intended as so this is his actual first appearance everybody the real first appearance of Alan alright everybody for all you fans of Alan here it is there you
0: go uh, so uh, Thompson and Thompson show up and uh, Tintin explains you know what just happened almost was crushed by a, a crate but well, what are you doing here and uh, they're going uh, aboard the Karabushan uh, uh, to inquire about the sailor who was drowned. And Tintin wants to tag along. And being certified detectives, why not? Should sure. Bring him along. Tintin well, he, knows his stuff. He is stuff. a boy reporter. He is a boy for now. He's yeah. still a boy reporter. Apparently. And they're still certified detectives, whatever that is. Yeah. Uh, so uh, Alan's uh, not happy about this at all. Uh, he's coming aboard with the two detectives. Yeah. And uh, tells his uh, blue, t- uh, blue turtleneck goon, you take care of him. Uh, he mustn't go back to the shore. I get it. Well, what's not to get? It was no a one likes the Jersey statement. Shore. <laughs> no. So uh, Tintin splits up with Thompson and Thompson, saying, I'm "Meet you here in a half hour." Yeah. And uh, they talk to Thompson. And Thompson go to talk to Alan, and uh, we get a little bit of as we say. Door business, yes. uh, with uh, you know, these guys go through so many hats.
1: <laughs> they really do. There's probably they a, single-handedly supported the hat industry. And in yeah, there's
0: one hat maker who's just like just fat cash. Yeah. Just like every ah, oh, yeah, you guys go out in those missions and come on back. Uh, Tintin's going for his uh, casual stroll on the deck. I'm not sure where Snowy is at this point, uh, but uh, uh, the goon sneaks up behind him and uh, gives him a. He's yes. being uh he's being uh, whacked in the noodle, knocked unconscious. Yeah. So uh, then we cut to, we don't cut to, it's the next week. Uh, we see Thompson and Thompson drinking with uh, Alan, have a little chat uh, with him about uh, everything. Uh, and uh, the goon comes in uh, saying, Yeah, it uh, just took, uh, took care of that bit of business. Yeah, good, good, says Alan. Gonna go check that out. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so they say goodbye to the Thompsons. They're going down a gangplank, just enough time for having them again, <laughs> some comedy. Fallen down, uh, landing, looking confused.
1: And wrecking their hats.
0: And wrecking, once again, their poor hats. <laughs> All right. Now, meanwhile, uh, this is a good meanwhile. Snowy's uh, not seeing where Tintin is. Yeah. And it's it's smart because if, if, if Snowy was around earlier, he would have warned him of yeah. the guy sneaking up on him. Yeah. Because Snowy will never walk in front of Tintin. He's a very deferential dog. He will walk behind. Uh, so, uh, what's happened to Tintin? Tintin's where Tintin usually is, tied up somewhere. Uh, in the he's in the hole of the ship.
1: I just want to point to something kinda of odd in the in the on the page ten in the third tier, and if you look at the, the last panel of that tier, and it says and the door is a bit low, but the word balloon the word balloon is pointing to someone off camera behind the I assume behind the wall.
0: Yeah, that's bad uh that's bad placement.
1: Bad balloon uh, pointing.
0: Yep. Fix that next time you guys uh work on that. Alright. <laughs> We're very judgmental on this one. Like fix that. Do the the coloring's bad on the cover. Boo. <laughs> Uh, so, uh, Tintin's, uh, not happy about being all tied up. Uh, and Alan, uh, s- uh says how long he stays is going to depend. You know, uh, you know, you know why you're here better than we do. And, uh, what? He's confused. Yeah, that's Tintin. Right. Yeah. But, uh, Snowy got in. Hooray. And, uh, and he starts chewing on the ropes while, uh, Tintin says, be quiet. Listen. Listen, we're sailing away. Here's the, they're sailing away. an unknown destination. Uh, anyway. And so, uh, chewing through the ropes. And over to you for a bit.
1: Okay, so uh, now we have uh, someone... Well, first we have um, a message to sent to Alan telling them to send Tintin to the bottom. So send T to the bottom. So,
0: right. And that's from the boss. And what I like we about it... We always have
1: messages from the boss. Ah, from the There's boss, lots yeah.
0: of... A lot of messages. A lot of people make money at hat stores and uh, telegrams and uh, message delivery services.
1: What I like, though, is the matter-of-fact way that the guy goes, oh, I just sent Pedro down with some food for him. Oh, well, I'll take a rope and a lump of lead, and that'll soon fix him. <laughs> just as matter-of-fact, oh, let's go kill him. It'll be fine. So we cut to Pedro and Tintin, and Tintin, you know, says, well, how, how am I supposed to eat with my hands tied behind my back? Pedro does not realize that, that Snowy has been in the room and gnawing at the ropes and uh, so uh, Pedro says, all, r- "All right, I'll loosen them, but no funny business." He wake, says, "You make one false move, you got me." Then we cut to uh, the the blue turtlenecked uh, sailor walking with a rope and a lump of lead, and then we we cut to him opening the door and finding Pedro tied up with a with a gag around his mouth.
0: Now, okay, and I like that. It's it, a good jump cut. It's a good jump cut, but this seems like a terrible plan.
1: Who? For whom? For
0: Tintin. Now, look at look at the situation in the third tier. Yeah. So, Tintin is there. He's yeah. got uh, Pedro there. P- Pedro's has uh, his hands full with a, a thing of water yeah. and a thing of bread. Yeah. Okay, and he, and Tintin's th- thing of uh, come untie me means he puts down the water, puts down the bread, pulls out a gun. This seems like way better to attack him when he's holding water and bread, yeah, right? Maybe. That's when you want to clock the guy, yeah. not when he's uh, got a gun aimed at you and he's expecting some some sh- stuff to go down. Yeah. Anyway, uh, still, it works, so what am I to criticize? Well,
1: that's the thing, and I guess if he's too far away, Tintin might not be able to prevent him from leaving the room and locking the door. So. I think
0: Tintin could lunge forward and give him that old, uh, Tintin <laughs> head to the <laughs> gut. Head to
1: the gut. We haven't seen that for a while. Well,
0: well, well let's seems hope so, so passed.
1: Seems to so have passed away, That uh, passed, gone with the dodo.
0: Right. So, uh, Pedro is uh, mentioning to the goon what happened. Uh, tells him the story, oh, well, that's nothing compared to what uh, the boss is going to, uh, you know, Alan's going to do to you. And another great cut. Alan has just smacked him in the puss. <laughs> so uh, we lots of
1: colorful stars.
0: Yeah, this is something Alan will be doing through the whole thing. Is uh, Alan's uh, method of discipline for people that work for him yeah. is uh, a crack in the noodle. Mm-hmm. Uh, a trip to Fist City. Totally fair. Yeah. Totally and uh, there you go. And, and uh, the goon says, ugh, now he's got your gun as well. Nice job. So he's been watching his boss beat this guy up and then gives him a little verbal jab. Thanks a lot, uh Goon. So uh Tintin's uh, looking through some cases. Uh of food. Uh, he's uh, opening them up and he, he finds these are the, those tins with the uh with the with the crab on it. Yeah. So uh you know uh, and also champagne. Uh offer Snowy a drink, not a good idea. Snowy really Really, doesn't know to how drink. to hold his alcohol at yeah. all. One yeah. sip and he's uh, dancing and singing a song. <laughs> so anyway, so Tintin's uh, trying to hide. Uh, accidentally pops a cork. Uh, the The bad guys outside of
1: the door hear this, and uh, and then what happens, David? So, what? Are the, well, of course, the usual thing. Injury to Snowy. Yeah, the cork That's the gets Snowy in the cork head. Gets Snowy in the head, and so then Tintin uh, he, Tintin hears the guy saying, "Well, Ellen says to them, it's no good trying to open the door. He's barricaded himself in there. We're just gonna have to starve him out." And Tintin says, "That's what you think? I've got lots of food in here. Have you? Not, have you seen these crab cans?" And then he opens one up, and then we get a, a surprised look, and Tintin finds they're full of opium. Yeah, and he's he's... able
0: to recognize opium just by looking at Mm
1: it. Well, he's already seen in Cigars of the Pharaoh several times. so I guess he's he's used to it by now. So then uh, Tintin now is a bit concerned, but Snowy isn't, because Snowy says, who cares? We've still got plenty to drink.
0: And he actually is drinking a little bit of the champagne that's come out of the thing.
1: So then uh, Tintin starts looking around, how he's going to get out of uh, of there. Well, Snowy's already drunk. Snowy's already drunk. And uh, he goes to the porthole peeks out and looks up and you can see another porthole above that's not too it's not oh he says it's too far but then he says unless yes i've got an idea then we cut to a meanwhile and we see a deckhand walking along the deck now in the original uh black and white version the and in the original color version that was a uh, black guy okay and uh i guess we can talk a little bit about the later publishing history, just will kind of break. take a little now, break. Now, when you say
0: it was a black guy, was it drawn in a way that would not be appropriate nowadays for a person like that to be drawn?
1: That in no way would prevent anyone from having a black guy in a comic. That oh. would not be a concern to anyone. That's not why they changed it. No,
0: but was the way he was yeah, drawn of, of was the drawn time. Yeah, of course.
1: the way that Hergé drew black people. That's how true. Yep. Okay, makes sense. Um, but what it was, was um, in 1958, uh, little golden books, Western Publishing, decided they were going to publish Tintin in the United States. So this was going to be like the first time that Tintin was wow. published in America, and uh, so they did have access. They did have access to the the English translations by uh, Turner and and Lansdale Cooper, but they wanted it to be more in the American idiom. So they did their own translations. Uh, they decided they were going to keep they were going to keep Tintin's name, uh, keep Haddock, keep everybody except for Snowy. The publisher did not think that Snowy was a name that Americans would like. They were going to call him Buddy. Hmm. That would have been Snowy's name. But then uh because they're they're also they're actually at the same time they're producing a uh a cartoon an animated version of Tintin that had Snowy and they didn't wanna this was also gonna be shown in America, yeah. so they didn't want to have this conf- Yeah. So they said, No, no, it has to be snowy. So they, they changed their mind on that. So
0: You don't want a Brutus Bluto situation happening.
1: So basically uh they wanted to publish four of them and so they you know they said to Castrum, Well what what can we publish? And Castrum said, Well, in in, Methuen in England is currently doing King Car Uh, the Crab of the Golden Claws, plus the, the unicorn, the, and then the Secret of the Unicorn, or the mystery, mystery, secret, whatever. And then, then Red Rackham's Treasure. Secret of the Unicorn. Secret of the Unicorn, and then Red Rackham's Treasure. So those are the four books that they, that they were going to publish. So they were all translated into sort of American idiom and just Americanisms, like instead of being St. Peter's Basilica that the Thompson twins end up in. They, they end up at uh, St. Patrick's Cathedral in New York. Just stuff like that, just to make it more yeah. understandable. The same way that when Thompson's paying, he's not paying in in, uh, in Belgian whatever they play, newts or whatever they use for their currency. He pays in pence. So they Britishize it, which is always confusing when you're a kid because you're like, well, what country is this in? Because we know it's supposed to be Belgium. Yeah, they're paying in pence. So it's very, what? I don't understand. But anyway, so, uh, so they published these four books, and actually, they're very nice-looking books. They changed the covers slightly. They changed like, the font a little bit. But they actually look really good. They oh, look cool. really good. But they were more expensive. Like, little golden books were 25 cents each. That was the magic of golden books, right? Like, you could get those books, and they're really cheap, and your kids could read them. And these Tintin stories, which are comics, which you could go by the newsstand for for a nickel or a dime, were $1.95. Oh, wow. So it made there's a big price difference. And uh, they just found... And it was fine in in Europe where albums like the hardcover comics were like an accepted tradition. In America, they weren't. And so they just could not break the market. And instead of, you know, trying and going on with it, they just gave up. Because Methuen had the same problem. When Methuen first started doing the Tintin stories, they didn't take off right away. It took a while for them to catch on. And, And, you know, it's slowly over time, people discovered them and started reading them. And they became, you know, something that everyone was, you know, that people loved. Even now, if you talk to someone about Tintin, most people are going to say to you, Oh, Rin Tintin the dog? They're not going to say Tintin, the cartoon character. They're just not going to know. My dad, uh, he worked for Quaker Oats um, for quite a few years. And uh, one time this salesman, they went for sales meetings back in, in Montreal, and the salesman was there, and he had this brilliant idea that they are going to bring in Tintin cereal from Europe and sell it in, in Canada. Only no one, none of these sales guys, knew who Tintin was. And actually, someone did say that. They're like, what do you mean? Like Rin Tin Tin, the dog? People are going to think it's dog food. He's like, no, 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 Tin Tin, the character. And, but no one knew what it was. So it really, you know, this was not going to go anywhere. So just because there was that gap, you know, that sort of. And so, uh, yeah, they tried to publish it. But that was, that was part of their changes that they wanted made was, we'll talk about them as we go. But one of the changes was the U.S., uh, like the censors, did not like mixed race stories. Those weren't good for kids to see. So we can't have black people intermingling with white people. So, and I think we talked about this in Tintin in America. Hergé said something like this in a letter. He said, there is no such thing as a good black person in America, and there's no such thing as a bad black person in America. There are no black people in America. We all know that. So, you know, to him, this sort of whitewashing, you know, like, okay, he's a villain. That's fine. At least he's a person making independent choices in a story. He's not a stereotype. He's not a caricature he's he's the same excuse me he's the same as Alan or yeah, the same as who, anyone else who makes bad choices you know he's just a character in these stories uh you know so it's just it's interesting it's an interesting uh uh, argument or or thing. We'll talk about, a bit more about it as well because there yeah, were some other changes made to the yeah, story. Yeah,
0: I mean there. Yeah, there's a lot of shades of gray with that. It feels like you know the whole thing is such a mess that even if you clean up one corner of it, you're like, well, I cleaned it up. Well, this is still a huge mess. I know, but at least I cleaned a corner up. Ah, but it. But, but if
1: your reason for cleaning the corner up isn't because you disagree with the portrayal of of black people in the story, mm-hmm. that's one reason. Mm-hmm. That seems okay, that's a fairly honorable reason. I don't really like censorship, but okay, if that's your reason, I can go go with you to a degree. But if your reason is that you don't want white and black people mixing together, yeah. that's not a good reason for no, censorship. It's not. That seems really insidious. that's a really, you know, insane. It's not
0: a good reason, but it sure was a reason then. Well, whatever. But yeah. yeah,
1: you're right. You're right. So I yeah, I just I just find it odd. And what I don't like is that the changes were became permanent parts of the books forever after. They weren't yeah. just changed for the US market. Well
0: that is I mean again that's your that's your situation. Like you've got if we want to get in really, really briefly to this, you know what's what's better, what's worse? Uh the 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 Spirit and Ebony and or then you got Batman and Robin. Now in Batman's world, as you say, there's no black people at all. Yeah. At all. Yeah. Is that better than uh ebony and the spirit ebony drawn in a stereotypical way yeah. but was a fully developed character yeah, was a real who uh, was brave and helpful and, and comedic and did a lot of stuff yeah and it's like there's is that better than no representation at all uh when you cut to now and you look at it and we do have greater representation it is looks oh geez what's that yeah. this is terrible and yeah. but then you look back in the day which was which was worse it's a debatable point it's and, totally a debatable And point. a and good point to debate possibly on say our message boards you, sneakydragon.com and you
1: can understand people's hurt feelings when they see caricatures like that of course it hurts your feelings mm-hmm. but at the same time uh, haddock is a is a caricature mm-hmm. of a sailor of a British person like right. he, he's a caricature you know like he's not a flattering representation of, of anybody either like it's not particularly in this story and it's you know so it's not that he's singling anybody out. Hergé necessarily, but, but yeah, in to our modern, looking back at them in our modern eyes, mm-hmm. I mean, how those stereotypes, and if you look at my notes that I did, I can't remember which notes that I did, maybe for the Tintin in America, I did show some images from other comics of that time period, other Franco-Belgian mm-hmm. comics, and all of them used that kind of style of representation of black people. It wasn't just Hergé. It was kind of the... No one's saying it it was it is. I don't think
0: anyone is saying it was just him. I'm not saying... You'd be surprised. I I don't think anyone's saying he made up these stereotypes. No,
1: I don't think anyone's saying that. But it was the common currency of the time to draw in that way.
0: And it was a shorthand for comedic purposes, for caricature purposes, for what have you. And there's
1: there's worse things in this story, and we'll get to them. We'll Mm -hmm. get to them.
0: All right, but uh, you seem to be uh, stopping us right before we uh, meet a character that I I believe will be important into the history of Tintin. We just stopped right before the introduction of him (laughs) and went into all of that. So, uh, why don't you introduce... You
1: obviously have no concept of suspense building.
0: No, I don't. But Dave... (laughs) Yes. Let's go. All right. All right. So, here we have... uh... I hope we, truncate silence didn't just take out yeah, that just long pause. Darn it! Okay. Like, oh no. I don't feel like putting it in. Rats. Okay. Fair enough. Please introduce uh, this new character who will change
1: our lives forever, David. So uh, we uh, well, we learned that uh, Ellen was going to go to the is going to uh, go talk to the captain because uh, the captain is demanding something, and Ellen describes him as an old drunkard. Then we cut to uh, Captain, who's so drunk he's pouring his his whiskey. Into no glass at all. That's how drunk he is. There's no glass underneath the bottle. Yeah, well, he
0: hasn't had a drop of whiskey in. uh, Oh, I guess he's just
1: showing that it's that. And so, yeah, this was the first appearance of Captain Haddock in uh, Tintin. And what's interesting is his name was inspired by uh, Jermaine Remy, who, while they are eating one time, described the Haddock, the fish itself, as a sad English fish. (laughs) And RJ liked that so much that when he went to do the the Captain, he kept Haddock as the name. And what's interesting is, unlike the Thompsons, whose name's, are various in different languages. Captain Haddock is used in every different translation of Tintin, except in South America, where he is called Captain Sardine. And I don't know why that is. Well, this would be confusing in this
0: one because Tintin was almost killed by a bunch of sardines That's earlier right. on. That's right.
1: Perhaps he runs, this is
0: a sardine ship. <laughs> I can right. see why he'd be called Captain Sardine. I've Make solved the so. mystery, everybody. I'm a real Thompson go. here. There now, I like I like uh, Tintin's plan here for getting out. This actually is a legitimately good plan. Uh, <clears throat> yeah. He's tied some rope around a couple of boards. He's going to throw them through an open porthole. And in doing so, uh, he will uh, be able to uh, snag the rope uh, the board will go on the other side of the porthole yeah. to be able to climb himself up. That is actually a really good plan. It's a plan. really good
1: plan. But as usual with Tintin, we get him missing. You know, he's not perfect. No. Nope. He misses and they land right in his head. I'm fine with that. With a bonk. And, uh, they, and then he gives it another try. He throws it up, hits Captain Haddock in the back of the head, who, of course, looks around, can't see anything because it's some wood that's fallen down onto the floor. And it, no one's there.
0: Now here's the thing that's kinda of strange to me here. Uh your first your first shot there, he's uh drinking he's now drinking whiskey. Yeah. He is he has got his whiskey. Yeah. Uh, the board hits him in the head. By that point he has put the whiskey aside and is playing solitaire mm-hmm. while he gets hit. Yeah. And then back to uh back to the whiskey. And I don't think we see the solitaire ever again. Yeah. But uh yeah, well getting drunk and playing solitaire. That's that's what uh, that's what he does. Yes. But so to, uh, yeah, Tintin climbs up the rope. I was going to stop for a second just to Please. point out.
1: In in here, we can see where in the original version there was the the uh, panels were slightly different shapes, and so you can see like the riveting in that third panel on the second line. It kind of stops partway up, mm-hmm. like someone forgot to draw in the rest of it when they when they stretched out the panel. Oh okay yeah. yeah. Um, so uh, yeah, uh, had because if you think about um, like most mostly, if you look along the pages. Most of the pages, the, 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 the uh, speech balloons are always right at the top of the page, top of the panel. Yeah. But when you get to this page, they're part way down. There's a slight gap. So that's your clue that they, these panels were stretched up a little bit and redrawn. Oh, okay.
0: So Tintin does a tumble in, kicks uh, Haddock in the back of the head. Uh, Tintin, uh, first of all, Haddock thinks it's just the whiskey talking here and all the banging yep. and things coming in and going out. Uh, Tintin pulls a gun on him. Uh, yeah. Haddock's a little bit surprised. Everyone's a little bit stunned. And uh, and uh, and and he's upset that Tintin calls this ship uh, a vile tub.
1: A vile tub. Well, he's the captain.
0: That's right. I like that he's got some pride in this vile tub. Yeah. You know. So uh, so good. He's a very proud man. Uh, and uh, explains that he was uh, in the in the uh, cargo hold. Uh, and uh, it, there's opium there. And and Haddock is shocked by this. We learn that Haddock is not in on this. He's no. not one of the bad guys.
1: He's not one of them. We know that because he then starts crying. Yes. Well Snowy enjoys some whiskey.
0: Oh Snowy. Come on. <laughs> Getting your head right in there. I know Snowy drinking the whiskey is pretty fantastic. And the crying sequence is also really good. That is some good, good crying. Yes.
1: There's more tears there than, than there's water in the ocean outside the boat. <laughs> um so now we have a, a mix of Alan, uh of course, uh, who hears this that something's going on, goes to check on the captain, discovers that Tim Tin is possibly escaped, decides they have to get into the room now. They uh do a very smart bit of uh, uh, demolition here because they put a wooden uh, crate frame against the door held in place by a beam and then blow the dynamite that way perfect because uh, you know we saw in um, he obviously read the broken ear where the (laughs) character didn't know that just put the dynamite outside by the wall of the window and then just ran off and of course it just exploded harmlessly away from the wall you say
0: that, but characters in these stories sometimes do have issues of Tintin to read, so possibly he did. <laughs> I mean, here, you know, realistically, I'm actually going to spin a realistic thing on this. Tintin's reported on all these stories he's sure. been. Yeah. This is public knowledge. He's a yeah. very popular fella. Yeah. You know, so, yeah, it's maybe also, goons... It's also
1: public knowledge with people who are experienced at demolition or using dynamite. True. That you can't just... <laughs> throw it on the ground and it'll do something Okay. Uh, so yeah they go into the room discover it's only champagne corks that are making uh, noises in there and then say it's okay we'll go in the door and then Ellen gets a cham- champagne cork right in the eye and then the goon gets one right in the nose which is a great uh, <laughs> a great bit of drawing by the way the eye so, and so then uh, then we discover that um, the formerly black character now vaguely Hispanic character has been uh, tied up and that Haddock and Tintin have escaped. And then we get to something that I love. Which is a uh, tied-up man getting a punch in the face? No, some great water.
0: Okay, but let's get to the
1: punch in the face. Okay, why do you, uh, because, why do you that?
0: Because, you know, a la uh, uh, Darth Vader, who every time someone screws up, yeah. chokes the guy. Uh, this uh, good old Alan, if you screw up in any way, you get a yeah. good comedy-size roundhouse punch to the face. Sure,
1: sure. Because so, okay. then the other guy comes in and says, Mr. Mate, the wireless operator, I just found him bound and gagged. He ends up on the floor... Uh, getting punched as well. All he did was bring some bad news. You're not supposed to kill the messenger, Alan. Right. That is the saying. So then we cut to Haddock and Tintin in a lifeboat, uh, rowing away from the ship. And and my, the water you love so much. My beloved. Oh, because you can draw water so well. Water is a hard thing to draw. By the you way,
0: you have been a fisherman and you have spent time on water, spent time so on water. you
1: know water. I know my water, but I also know from attempting to draw water realistically or fairly semi-realistically how hard it is to draw it's very difficult mm-hmm. and and herge did it masterfully i can draw water but only out of a well so
0: hey, everybody <laughs> huh how you doing everyone okay out there <laughs> <laughs> all these
1: crickets get in here i'm gonna get these crickets out of here you continue for okay a second. so now we come yeah, to you <laughs> so now we have uh tintin uh you know the captain says you know what we're not in trouble yet but tintin you have a little rest I'll row for a while, then you can take over. So, it's uh, rough seas. I don't it know is if, rough I c- seas, yeah.
0: if I could get asleep during that.
1: And then, uh, well, I get rocked to sleep. And then um, then uh, the captain says, I'm so thirsty. I wonder if... Uh, and cold. <gasps> wait a second. He finds some fresh water and some biscuits, only there's some rum. He's going to throw it over, but that would be such a waste, you know? Maybe if I only had a little bit to warm myself up. Then we cut to the next panel. The bottle is half empty. Now just a little bit more, and then I'll throw it away. And what? It's empty. let we see the empty bottle being thrown into the <laughs> water. Now, in this, the original sequence, you actually saw Haddock drinking. He actually was drinking from the bottle. Oh, but they just... But uh, the Americans didn't want that. Ah. Because America is... If there's a country in the world that's very prudish about its drinking, that's the United States. And uh, so they, they uh, requested that... Well, actually, in the original version they published, they just put as white panels are white panels with speaking in them. So, you can oh, see wow. the word balloon, but there's no image.
0: Now, do they have no problem with a dog getting drunk? Well, those had... were not
1: published. Which one has a dog getting drunk? This this one
0: has uh, Snowy drinking the champagne and he's getting all Well, he's looking like... at the sh- champagne. Yeah, and then he's all woozy from oh, all yeah. the really rolls around. And then he's drinking all of uh all of Haddock's whiskey. Yeah. Face for like there's panel after panel of him digging his face deep into the whiskey there's and having a good the drink. Only the one. There's only the no, one. No, there is not. No, there is not. Seat. Go on back, my friend.
1: Just the one? No. Oh, there's two. Yeah, he's laughing at it, and one, and he's and he's got well, the Well, cu- you're glass. missing.
0: You're missing on page 15, bottom panel, first. Oh, drink, he just sees it. He just sees it. No, though. he's not. Yeah, just... yeah,
1: he's just looking at. It. He's like, oh, whiskey. Oh, okay. Then he starts to laugh at it. Then he's got his mouth. Then in the, he's going in to in town. The then he's full. Yeah, on that's fine. There. That's a dog. That's fine. It's not a person. Okay. We don't care what happens to dogs. We just care what happens. We just don't want kids to be drinking because they like Captain Haddock. Okay. Because so kids, kids would those, not. Be,
0: that's why in the Peanuts, you always see Snoopy getting drunk because yeah. that's
1: fine. So what? So Erge's solution to this was to redraw a few of the panels rather than all of it, and he just drew them with the disappearing the disappearing volume. It works. Of the, it's yeah, still okay. It works yeah, a
0: bit. and then uh, Haddock's a little worried about Tintin being cold, so he does
1: the sensible thing, lighting a fire in <laughs> the middle of the boat. <laughs> but that is such a great drawing, by the way. Yes. The only thing that gives that drawing that isn't great in that drawing is the smoke isn't very good, and the fire isn't very good. But other than that, it's brilliant. That's the way the, flit, the the waves are rising. And the flames, the, just the the way the boat's drawn, it's just perfect, perfect, perfectly drawn. I just wish the fire was a little... But once again, fire is also very difficult to draw.
0: Okay. I don't have out. any problem with the fire, folks, but uh, you, again, you let picky. us know.
1: It might be the coloring that I don't like, but anyway. Yeah, it
0: could be. Uh, Tintin grabs a bucket, is uh, trying to uh, put out the fire, but uh, Haddock is not going to have it. Uh, you meddlesome cabin boy, fight, fight, fight! I and like that the his uh, boat like, is overturned.
1: I like that his pants are on fire. Haddock's pants are on fire while he's yes. trying to take, take tear the bucket out of Tintin's hand. They both they up up they overturn the boat, end up in the water, and then they're sitting on the uh, upturned boat. Well, and now he's very cold,
0: probably. Uh, and now Tintin's dealing with that aspect of being with a drinker, which is the uh, remorse. The
1: title over. I mean, you don't have to see the plane; it can be obscured by the title. It's True. Uh,
0: and uh, the uh, plane is uh, shooting at them. Yeah, it is a beautiful shot. No, it's great. So uh they hide behind the boat and uh Tintin pulls out his gun, who we remember he still has. And uh bam! Shot it right in the middle. Good shot, Tintin. And uh it lands, the engine stopped.
1: And so now now I kind of wonder uh where we are in the uh in the chronology of how the paper was how the uh presentation was shrinking
0: because of the big panel of the plane. Well, the big panel of the
1: plane, you? but I'm wondering if that's the if that's the last panel of that that day? Hmm. So if we can divide the page into thirds, so we have them coming back. Like remember, we don't include that big splash page because that was added yeah. for the story. So we have them shooting at them. That's a good ending. Then we have them sitting on the boat as the plane circles back around. We know they're coming back. Then we have Tintin firing at it. That's a good place to stop. So I'm kind of I'm just trying to guess. Like it's hard to tell exactly where the change changes were from one one uh, presentation to the next, how it was shown. So from the two two page down to the one page. So I, still, I kind of feel like we're at the one page now, but I could, I could be wrong.
0: Okay. So uh, the uh, people are firing at Tintin. Uh, they are trying to fix the plane, uh, and, T- and Tintin does a swim towards them. Good swimming. Yeah. Uh, I don't like that it's, you know, the way it's laid out here, probably look better in the paper, because uh, he's swimming in the exact same position yeah. right above each other where it would have been nice exactly. to have the other arm.
1: That's one reason why I think that that the big panel is the end of that week then we cut to the next one those next three panels are the end of of the next week could very well be yeah and the next three panels we have uh yeah we have them getting tied up because then the f- so if we divide it into thirds, so so the next the next third ends with Haddock climbing up onto the pontoon I kill what them what's wrong with you we're not going to kill them no we should kill them no <laughs>
0: so uh, it's showing a little uh, difference between the two of them personality wise yeah, there
1: yeah that's a good, good point. and so so now let's divide the page into third again so the next third is haddock saying tie them up let's kill them they put them in the plane tintin uh is sitting at the wheel or whatever you call the stick and then uh um haddock says you can fly a plane then we have two panels of the plane taking off out of the water which are beautiful and then we have them flying in the plane and then uh haddock says oh columbus because of course he's a sailor so columbus is his uh, patron saint he said this is frightful we'll never get through this so that's a good place to stop i think that to me feels like another cliffhanger point.
0: Yeah, we're getting... Uh, do, do you agree
1: with me that I think this is where the page is divided into thirds? At, at, at I, really,
0: I don't know, but that, w- that would make sense. That would make sense.
1: So now on the next page, we have the plane, plane flying in the clouds. There's a lot of rain. And Tintin discovers a bottle of whiskey in the... I don't know why they kept so much whiskey and rum around in First well, Aid. Tintin
0: kits. doesn't find it. Haddock finds it.
1: Oh, I'm sorry. Did I say Tintin? I meant Haddock. Sorry. Yeah. And then uh, Tintin, this looks frightened. He's obviously having a hard time steering through this weather. Now, in the original... Uh, the original color version, the original black and white and color version, uh, haddock was shown drinking from the bottle, but Hergé replaced that with a shot of the plane flying in the clouds and just Tintin saying, or sorry, haddock saying, since we've got to die, I may as well have one last bottle. Right. And then, and then uh, a shot of the plane, the lightning's flashing. Now we have inside a drunken haddock trying to, to rest the, the the stick away from, from Tintin, uh, you know, causes the, Plane to to roll in the sky. He's thrown backwards into the uh, into the villainous uh, uh, pilots. pilots yeah. yeah, Tintin grabs control of the stick again. Then we have what well, again? I think the cliffhanger of that week. Haddock stalking towards him with the empty whiskey bottle, ready to clonk Tintin on the head. To, to me, it just seems to make sense in terms of, of cliffhanger.
0: Oh, okay, and then and then in this story, he does yep. clonk Tintin on the head, and the plane goes into a dive. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they uh, they exit the clouds. And uh, we end up in the desert, and it's a really good, you know. I'm saying it's really good, but it, we've got flames and uh, smoke, which you don't seem to
1: like. Yeah. Uh, but
0: the plane crashes. The cr- plane uh, crashes. Really so good crash. Let's
1: divide into thirds again, into three three tiers again. Sure,
0: sure. There's the plane. There's a lot of math in this one, folks. I'm
1: sorry. I'm just because I just want to sure. work out when the changes were, because I'm interested in that, and just, it's not clear clearly written anywhere. Uh, and so, um, yeah, I wrote, I wrote a note that says flames aren't as good as is water. <laughs> <laughs> I mean it's a minor complaint, obviously. I still love the drawings. I think yeah, they're great. I don't have a beef with the flames. But uh, the um, yeah, so the next so the third panel of this one would be the plane approaching the sand. So we're not too sure what's gonna happen next. That's the that's a cliffhanger. Then we cut to the actual plane, let, trying to land in the sand, catching up you know, catching a pontoon, and then flipping and then bursting into flames. Tintin and Haddock crawl out, and then good heavens Tintin realizes the pilots are still inside and then he runs back in and we cut and we end that week with Tintin rushing back into the flaming uh pl- into the f- flaming uh, wreckage
0: yeah once again this is haddock saying let him die that's the second time haddock yeah that's just right. like let yeah. these guys die he goes, stop uh,
1: you're crazy now what I like
0: what I like about this is uh it's sometimes you in an action story uh, can take your protagonist and have them just saving themselves constantly and yeah. they never do anything heroic yeah but uh, tintin is a genuine hero in this story that he will not only one he won't casually kill somebody yeah uh but in this case he's going out of his way to to rescue to save the lives of two people who tried to kill him yeah so good for tintin good cast. i like one. this yeah you know uh in in, the, in that story and and then he does um and then we uh, get a little uh, funny bit of business with snowy and i was, just i just want to say that
1: i just want to say that yeah also I just want to also know that I'm just my uh, just surmises about these where are these cliffhanger where are the pages end and stuff yeah. like that I'm just I'm just, just guessing, guessing. I'm just guessing myself. Right. And if anyone out there knows let us know. Yeah please let us know cuz I I looked in lots of different sources and I could not find I mean you can get uh like I said I have a timeline of when each change occurred but it's hard to figure out in that timeline where where the actual changes are. So I'm just going by my gut feelings.
0: Right. Now, I like, uh, here's what I like. I like the layout of just, you see page 26 and 27 side by side. Yeah. It's very Uh, action-packed. The crash, uh, the heroic uh, tinted running in, getting the person out, Snowy coming behind him, Snowy burning his tail. Yeah, trying to yeah. uh, save people running running out.
1: Well, of course, it's his tail. Of course, it's going to get injured. Of course, injured. it
0: is. They save the people. What happens next? Uh, we get a little bit of business from Snowy. He's, what's going on? Is everything okay? He's found a gigantic, cartoonishly large bone, yeah. and it's from a camel. So,
1: Well, that is a that is a cliffhanger, though, because they they don't know where they are. They think, they, he says, they think this looks like Spain, and Haddock isn't sure. He says it could be anywhere. Yeah. They. So they follow they follow Snowy, they come up over this dune and they realize, no, we're we're in the Sahara. Yeah, we're in this trouble. Is, we're in trouble. That's- yeah.
0: While Snowy says, see, bones for everybody. He's a very <laughs> He's little generous ha- dog. He's pretty happy. Yeah. Uh so uh yeah, this is uh the flip flipping out uh, haddock on this. Uh the Sahara, the land of thirst. Yeah, that's the great. land of thirst. He actually <laughs> does a comedic faint. The land of thirst. Uh Snowy's still happy. He's got his bone. Yeah. Uh, the uh, the prisoners have escaped yeah. And that's good Because we don't want to drag them Through the Sahara Desert You know, there's off they go That's fine uh, And uh, and then off Haddock and uh, Tintin go uh, With a very happy Snowy With his bone yeah. Through the desert yeah. And we got our uh, next splash page
1: Which also would make a good cover it
0: really does And I like Snowy giving us well, the look Let's just
1: say that Any one of these splash pa- Practically any one of these splash pages Would make a better c- cover Than the ones that are The one that's on the actual cover
0: Agreed <laughs> Okay, so uh, it, Haddock's not doing well with this. He just wants a drink. He can't go on. Why uh, don't to, to, to just take a little lie down in the sand in the shadow of this dune? Uh, he does so.
1: and uh, I just want to say one thing about this section.
0: Please do.
1: Which is that it was fun when you when you when when I started reading these books, I was already very familiar with Monty Python. So it was interesting to see the kerchief hats <laughs> not used on a Mr. Gumby, but actually just worn by, by characters in a book. Because I always assumed that was just a comedy thing. That they did on, on monty python that it wasn't an actual thing that people would actually knot a handkerchief and make a hat but i learned from tintin that, oh, yes, they will.
0: Now, does that just absorb your sweat? Is that the idea? And that well, keeps it also, you cool? Well,
1: it's also a hat, so it keeps you the sun from beating down, down, down on your head. head. Yeah. Especially
0: if you're yeah. a blonde fellow like Tintin, I assume. He's very fair, yes. Yeah. So uh, now we're getting just out-and-out out comedy, uh, where uh, the captain is looking at uh, Tintin and sees him change into a giant bottle of champagne.
1: Yeah. And tries to Which is weird, because, because he likes whiskey. Wouldn't he think of him as whiskey?
0: Well, I mean, maybe Tintin doesn't look like a whiskey bottle. Maybe he looks yeah, more like a champagne. Maybe he's got a champagne true. figure.
1: That's right. He's got a champagne figure.
0: And so, uh, Tintin is fighting him. Snowy, luckily, still has the bone. Accidentally tries to, uh, tries to hit Haddock, hits Tintin, uh, but eventually does hit Haddock. And, uh, the spell is broken. All is well. Uh, Haddock's fine. Nope. Wait. No, he's not. He spots some water. Off he's going. Snowy tries to stop him, grabbing his suspenders uh, as he's uh, diving into a beautiful pond of sand because it was a mirage. Yeah. Yeah. You don't want to be walking uh, with a guy with the DTS through the desert. <laughs> uh, Tintin's head with a corkscrew. But this was just a nightmare that Tintin was having. Yeah. Odd. Uh, odd little thing. We because we just did that beat kind of. Yeah. I know it's. I'm not 100% behind this, um, but then I'm not 100% behind dream sequences in anything. Oh, is that I always right? think it's a little bit of a cheat, usually. Wow.
1: A little bit. You're not going to like uh, the I, shooting star.
0: Okay. Thank you for the spoilers. <laughs> oh, yes,
1: I wrecked it. Okay. So uh, Tintin. It's uh, a spoiler podcast, by the way.
0: Rolls out of bed. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's uh, startled, saying it was a ghastly nightmare. Asks, What what happened? Where am I? Come, you got to go see the lieutenant. See, it says, like, maybe a guard or some such. Uh, Tintin meets the lieutenant. Well, go if, ahead.
1: If this is a Foreign Legion, then he would be a legionnaire.
0: Okay, I don't know. It's a Foreign Legion, though. Is he a foreign, Is he? Is this the Foreign Legion?
1: I think so. Yeah, this is French. Uh, okay, the French Foreign Legion, right? Isn't that the idea of it? I don't know. Although they're not dressed like the Foreign Legion, they don't have those. It's not traditional those Foreign ser- Legion those wear. Blue jackets and those little kind of pil- those little round. No, it looks like hats. people
0: from Lawrence of Arabia right now. Yeah. It looks like that kind of uh, outfit. With it's a, it's little... a more
1: relaxed. It is. It is. I mean, he's a lieutenant. I was gonna say lieutenant, but that sounds strange. But he's, he is a lieutenant, and uh, he. Uh, so we know that it's a military service. It's not just a, you know, it's not just a group of guys hanging around in a fort. This is actually a military outpost. Okay,
0: so the lieutenant uh, or lieutenant, however you want to say it, we're gonna say lieutenant, uh, even though we're Canadian. Uh, what are you going to do?
1: I'm going to say Lieutenant.
0: Oh, all right. I'll say Lieutenant, too. <laughs> uh, the left boy, I just folded like a house of cards <laughs> on there. You, uh, you
1: maintain your neutrality, and I appreciate that. Sure.
0: So the Lieutenant mentions uh, they spotted the uh, crashing plane smoke, uh, saw the tracks, found them unconscious, brought them in, and he asked, did you find my friend, too? Yep, there he is. And in comes Haddock, uh, and uh, in comes some refreshment, the Lieutenant, wanting them all to drink with them. <laughs> yes. Tintin, No. I never drink spirits. That's not true. We've seen that uh, in previous uh, stories. And uh, Haddock, no, he's not going to have any. He's off the sauce. It's
1: it's an interesting change in Tintin's character, actually. And it wasn't it wasn't from uh, pressure from the American publishers. I just think that uh, Hergé was he was changing slightly, changing how he was doing these stories.
0: Well, the other thing is, if you're if you're with a guy, and maybe he's an alcoholic, maybe he isn't. Maybe yeah. he's whatever. He's a comedy drinker. But if you've got a guy if you've got Mr. I think he's an alcoholic. Look, if you've got Dr. Jekyll next to you. Yeah. And every time he drinks the formula, he attacks you and tries to like drink you. Yeah. When someone goes, Who wants um formula? Uh you go, None for me, thanks. <laughs> I never touch the stuff. Yeah. Not around for all of us. <laughs> you know? So yeah. so yeah.
1: So uh But Haddock, I love uh, I love Haddock's uh what's interesting with Haddock too is that he's the only character that uh we've seen so far. That has blank eyes, like Little Orphan Annie eyes, mm-hmm. rather than the dots that most Tintin characters have.
0: Does he maintain those eyes through? Uh, I the believe, rest so, of I eyes? believe so.
1: And so it gives him, well, in these stories, it gives him a very uh, forlorn look, very haunted look, bleary, yeah. bleary-eyed. I guess is the idea. He's supposed to kind of look, yeah, like, like a drunkard. But later on, they're very expressive. They're more expressive than Tintin's, I guess, in a way.
0: Well, in on page thirty-two, the final panel, which is admittedly cartoony, yeah, uh, has has his eyes actually having two little wine bottles in it. Yeah, and you couldn't do that with uh, Tintin with his black eyes. No, would not work. No,
1: it wouldn't work. That's right.
0: So uh, the lieutenant is a little annoyed that he's not uh, you're not drinking with him. A lot of peer pressure there to drink, but uh, but uh, he's not doing it. Good for him. And then we get uh, some exposition coming off on the radio.
1: Yes. So we discover that uh, – this is strange – but that they are advertising – or not advertising, but they're announcing uh, the shipping news. And so we discover that uh, the steamship Tanganyika uh, sank near Vigo near, uh, in uh, Spain. And then her – doesn't say Spain, but I know it's in Spain. And then her uh, crew were taken off, and the merchant vessel Jupiter has been driven ashore, but her crew are safe. And then SOS was picked up from the merchant ship, Carabujan. Another vessel, the Benares, went at once to aid the Carabujan and searched all night, but was unable to find not even the wreckage of the ship mm. or any survivors were found. And Haddock is very surprised because a ship as large as the Carabujan shouldn't sink without, should have time for people to launch the lifeboats. Although they're both forgetting that they stole one of the lifeboats.
0: One lifeboat.
1: Yeah. And no. so that just ruined everything because that destroyed their lifeboat uh, because they they've been practicing and practicing their lifeboat drills. They ran out to start the actual thing, and one of the lifeboats was missing, and it just made everything go all cockamamie, yeah. And they were unable to, to do it, and they sank to the bottom of the ocean. Excellent theory. Dead. Excellent theory. Dead.
0: And that's the end of the story. Dead is doornails. Nope. Keep moving on. All right. Let's go to... Uh, I didn't the... say that was the end of the story. I just said that the, the ship is
1: gone. Okay. Never to be seen again. All
0: right, sounds fine. We all know that. Uh, you've got interesting memory loss, uh, <laughs> having read this. So, uh, the uh, Tintin asked the li- lieutenant, is there any way we could uh, leave today? Uh, yeah, I guess it can be done. I'll, uh, I can send two guides with you. Area's been quite safe for a couple of months now. Off they go. Uh, the uh, guard or what have you. Allah yep. so, protect them. Off they go. Uh, just then. No, well, not just then. The next morning, a wireless message comes in. These two guys having very much the same haircut. Uh, And why don't you read that message? Because it's a little tiny for me to read.
1: Uh, So it says, um, it says most urgent. And then it says, I guess, to the section of their, whatever their fort number is. 20 Arab raiders reported near uh, Timman. it looks like. Timman. yeah, that was the word I had a problem with. Yeah, something like that. Proceeding to wells of Kefir stop dispatch patrol. Now, Kefir is not an actual place in Africa. It's a made up name and, and as usual with herge when he made up names he liked to make little puns so what was so, the uh what's the pun here uh Kefair, so it's q u e f a i r e so or what to do or what to do next or wh- what are we going to do it could be mean a lot of things okay like, but what to do let's just say that so yes just having a little bit of fun with with so we find out so what was thought to be a safe passage for tintin and haddock quite the opposite quite the opposite Apparently, cut two <laughs> cut to
0: Haddock and uh, Tintin and the and the guides uh, and uh, oh oh it looks like uh, Haddock is uh, about to have a, a drink yes with he's... no one's watching
1: well we find out that uh, the lieutenant is asking his one of his uh, soldiers um, where the bo- his bottle of uh, where the bottles were that were here yesterday and he says I don't know I didn't touch the bottle that's what the soldier says we cut to to uh, Haddock yeah that's right. sneaking a bottle out of the uh, saddlebag on his on his camel
0: but kabam. Uh, it's shot out of his hand. Yes, the
1: cover shot, actually. Mm-hmm. That's the cover. His bottle exploding. Uh, the problem with the cover is that you don't know why his bottle's exploding. Well, you see people shooting, so you assume it's a bullet going through. But it just feels kind of weird. Like, what's important about that? If you haven't read it, you just don't understand. And it
0: looks like the camel's laughing at the whole situation. <laughs> you know, the one's snobby and the one's laughing.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: It does not make a lot of so, sense.
1: And so the final, on page 35, we we have a big... Uh, kind of a splash panel, a large panel taking up most of the page with them, with the uh, the uh, raiders firing at uh, Tintin and Haddock and and the, the uh, and the uh, one of the guides, and so then I believe now that we switch to the daily strips. So I think if we look at how differently they're laid out and how many strips are very narrow and squished together in order to get more information compared to what we were looking at before. I think anyone reading this will agree with me that at this point, we are now in the daily strips.
0: Yeah, yeah, that makes sense.
1: So, uh, and if you read... What's interesting, though, is I think in the original... In the newspaper strips, they did them slightly different. Like, one one thing... Like, I like to read, like, old newspaper strips. I love, like, Dick Tracy and stuff like that. One of the annoyances of reading those strips is the fact that the first panel of every day has to repeat what happened the day before so that people who missed the day before can catch up. So you always end up with this one... Pa- with this one panel that's basically like uh, forget about it because it's just telling you what you already read yeah. especially if you're sitting and reading them in a, in a in a bunch in a batch yeah the worst one in
0: modern day is the spider-man uh, uh daily strip okay it's terrible yeah it, nothing happens for five days it's just people talking about what happened previously and then again the same and then reiterating did you miss monday yeah and by thursday how about that monday yeah. and then by the next day well we should go
1: so when it ran, as it ran when it ran as a daily strip in in Lesoir, there was a little uh, before the, the the strip itself. There was a little description of what had what had happened. So it, every day it had a little pre that ge- that let you know what you what you had missed if you did yeah. miss. Well, and so rather than incorporate it into the strip, it was just it was a which is better, I think, to have the have it that way
0: i agree and uh now that you're mentioning it when i said that this moves along at such an incredible pace uh, i think it is because there's so many panels here which would seem to slow things down but it actually doesn't it just like whips you through it yeah uh, just a little happens in each panel so you're uh, going along and here's what's happening and
1: also every panel practically ends with some sort of a a cliffhanger or a little stinger whether it's um haddock beginning to drink you know that's going to be bad uh you know um Tintin about to fire on a, on a soldier, a soldier getting shot at, just things like that, that, you know, or so it's, it's very interestingly done. It's yeah. very interestingly done.
0: So, uh, yeah, Tintin, as you say, uh, Haddock starts to drink, uh, then pulling out his gun. Tintin, uh, shooting, uh, not shooting the person and killing them, but is shooting the sand in front of them to get sand in yeah. their eyes. Yeah. Because Tintin's a good man. Yes. And is not trying to kill. Yeah. Uh, But then someone shoots uh, Haddock's bottle, and that just sets him off. It's time for revenge, 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 revenge.
1: Off he goes. And so now we see an example of uh, what Haddock became best known for, which was his colorful uh, cursing. Uh,
0: In this case, what's he
1: saying? It's not as colorful as, as it becomes later on. Like in this one, he's just saying swine, jellyfish, tramps, troglodytes, toffee noses. But what it came out of was one time Hergé was in a store... And uh, he, um, this this short shop owner was having an argument with a customer. And they got into this back and forth, back and forth. And finally, the shop owner called the customer, he called him a peace treaty. <laughs> and it just stunned the the uh, customer into silence. But I actually loved it so much that, you know, I went into his store, his little memory bank of, of possible things. And when he started doing Captain, he realized, oh, that would be great. Just to have him, you know, yell at people. But they would just be complete non sequiturs. Yeah. Rather than being, like, of the moment. And that's mostly true. There are times where there's a bit of... In this, anyway, I think it became more disconnected later. So yeah, he's yelling savages, Aztecs, which is toads, carpet sellers, iconoclasts.
0: Yeah, iconoclasts is really good. Yeah. So uh, some saint much watch watch over drunkards. It's a miracle he hasn't been hit. Says uh, says Tintin.
1: And then we see one of his uh, one of his most pop- popular ones, which is uh, well ectoplasm was one, but also bashi bazooks, which believe it or not. I actually know what those are. It's not related to Ralph Bakshi in any way. It's not related to Ralph Bakshi. The uh, Bakshi bazooks were Turkish irregular mercenaries. Very nice. Yeah. So uh, that was where that word came from. Basically, what uh, Erje er- er- er did was he just took out a bunch of dictionaries and uh, science books and stuff like that and just went through and looked for words that were interesting. And he would find, find, find these interesting words. He made one mistake, though, one time. He put in this word, and I can't remember what it was now, but what it was was it was uh, something to do with the, the working of the bowels. And not in a nice way. Oh, okay. And so one of his friends wrote an irate letter to him, posing as a father who read this in, in, in Tintin, and how angry he was. And Hergé was just all torn up about it, because he was a real sucker. He always yeah. fell for practical jokes, because he's such an earnest person. And uh, yeah, so they just had a good good general laugh about that, of course.
0: So, uh, yep. There's a lot. Of, listen, just pick up the book yourself and look at all the good swear words here. It's excellent. <laughs> and if you need to swear, why not use some of these swear words in your uh, sure. future life? I hope some kids did pick up these yeah. swear words and used iconic class.
1: We know how much Bassy Bazooka
0: came. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah.
0: Uh, so, uh, yeah, the captain's gonna hit hit him with Cannibals. the butt of his rifle.
1: Butt of his rifle. Freshwater swabs, which would be a real insult to a sailor, of course. That sure. Not just a swab, but you're freshwater. You're not even an ocean-going swab. Absolutely. How low. Cowards, baboons, parasites. Oh, you're going
0: to read them all. Go yep. for it. No, no, it's okay. So uh, then uh, he's... Uh, yeah, there I already said that one. Uh, he's going to hit them with the butt of his rifle, ends up hitting himself in the head. Yeah. Almost knocking himself out. Uh, thinks he's driving them off. Uh, good for him, but it was the lieutenant. Yes. Uh, and uh, his uh, fellows that uh, drove them off, in fact.
1: Just just a, a little interesting point here is if you look on uh, the third, third tier... Last panel, the captain's shirt is green, so I don't know what happened there. I don't know if the, if someone accidentally colored the desert into mm. a shirt and then added the blue to it, and then it caused a, it to turn green, or just they ran out of blue. I don't well, know. if
0: you want to take your book back for your money back, you, you I think could. you have the same problem in yours. Yeah, we should both take our books back, get a refund. <laughs> yeah. All right. Good luck. So, Lieutenant, we well, showed up at the right moment. Yeah, in the nick of time. There you are. Uh, Lieutenant says, uh, you know, uh, this morning I received uh, the radio warning and everything. And uh, now, as soon as my men return with their prisoners, we'll all ride north together to prevent further incidents like this. And so they do. After several days' journey, uh, Tintin and the Captain come to uh, Bagar, a large Moroccan port.
1: Just to interject. Uh, Please b- interject. Bagar, once again, French slang for a scrape or a fight. Very nice. So, so More uh, of Herge just having fun.
0: So they're both wearing some nice pith helmets now, uh, walking through It looks like the marketplace. Uh we'll uh Tintin says we'll go to the uh, harbor master. Perhaps he can give us news of the uh Carabujan. You know what? I'm I'm gonna mess it up every time. So I if just you want to correct me, I just want free.
1: to uh talk a little bit about the color in this section because when this was fairly this was pretty early on that Hergé uh did this one in into color, and uh I think that he wasn't that great with color. Mm. Like I think he knew what he wanted, he did not know how to get there. Yeah. And so I just, you know, like when you look at this, there's, I feel that way about the fire. It's, it's too detailed for a Tintin story. And in here we have too much detail for a Tintin story. Like there's, sh- there's shadows on the ground and uh, it's just too much. Like it's not, it's not. This is weird because
0: I'm currently working on a story and we just got some pages back from the colorist and I've yeah. given similar notes where the drawings are simpler than the coloring is and I yeah. wanted to goose it a bit mm-hmm. and it's, yeah, it's not a, it's, it's not, not what the you right need. match. Yeah, yeah, you don't
1: need that. Yeah. Because so, uh, when you when you change, when you turn the page and we get the big splash panel of another page that as you said would be a good good yeah. cover there's no sh- there's no shading it's just pure primary colors it's like good coloring here yeah you know and it's not that kind of clumsy coloring so and I, it feels like it's lazier
0: yeah. coloring but lazier coloring is better it's not lazier it's just simpler and simpler yeah. is more effective it do, it uh, drives your eye it, to where you want it to go it wasn't
1: until uh, Hergé met met uh, Edgar P Jacobs that he really started to understand color theory. Like, before that time, he was just really kind of just making a mess. Mm. And he needed someone to kind of show him and, and talk, talk him through how it worked. And that was Jacob's. Like, when Jacob started to help him with the coloring, the coloring took a real stride forward in terms of quality. Cool. And Hergé learned a lot as well. So uh Tintin's on the run, uh, Haddock's behind him knocks o-
0: does the uh, equivalent of an action movie uh, the Apple Cart getting knocked over. Mm-hmm. But in this case it looks like some oranges are uh, getting knocked over as uh, he runs he runs past. Uh, but uh, people aren't having this, and uh, they, they stop him and uh, start beating on him. The police show up. Yeah, uh, everyone, break it up, move along, move along. A uh, bunch of savages, uh, says Haddock I disagree with that, Haddock It seems like you're really the savage here uh, but well, he's, he's,
1: he's prone to uh, to uh, to um, exaggeration Yeah,
0: he so. could have uh, used much worse language We know That's that That's right,
1: he could have called them a bunch of bashy bazooks
0: Absolutely so. Meanwhile, Tintin spots Alan And <laughs> uh, starts following him uh, Trying not to lose sight of him Immediately loses sight of him uh, Knows he went into one of the houses there Doesn't know which one uh he's gonna have to come back. Cut two. Uh oh, this is never good. Haddock's drinking again. Uh sitting uh sitting at a cafe, uh wondering how he'll find Tintin. Getting a little drunker, getting a little drunker. Uh Tintin uh, is gonna have to find the captain, then uh, go to the headmaster harbour master's office and uh wait from there. But guess who's drunk again? Good old Captain <laughs> and Haddock. He's lost his
1: wallet. Yeah. Or had it stolen.
0: He calls the police, uh raise a big fuss saying he was robbed. They find his wallet embarrassing off he goes for a walk and spots his old boat with a very different name
1: oh it didn't go down yeah but it said on the news I
0: know you were wrong you can't believe everything that you read in the news in a comic book so,
1: so now is this the first time he says blistering barnacles uh it's the first time that I noticed it and I, I was thinking about that I was thinking did we miss it and not comment on it because it is kind of his thing yeah it, it, kind, of, it kind of becomes his, I'm gonna uh, say
0: this is the first time unless we hear different
1: and it's, uh, in, uh, in French, it's tonnerre. Which means? Uh, like storm, like a sea storm or something. I like blistering barnacles more. But blistering barnacles was a real, was a real find by, by, by Michael Turner and Leslie Lonsdale Cooper. Like, they really hit on it there. Because not only do you have blistering barnacles, but you can have billions of blistering blue barnacles. Yeah, nice. It's a real one they can build on, whereas the tonner. It's not as much. I mean, there are some T words. Tons and stuff of air, that... but that's yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not. So useful.
0: he calls the police, but the police ain't having it. They don't believe him. This drunk guy. He uh, did that wallet stuff earlier. Off he goes. Well, it's funny. Yeah,
1: what's funny is that it's the same the same officers who protected him from the Arabs. So these guys are kind of well. This guy again.
0: Yeah, we've had enough of this. Yeah, that's just enough. This third time's not the charm, buddy. So uh, they're taking him away. Meanwhile, uh, the uh, the the, one of the bad guys uh, spots this happening and says, "Oh, the captain! I must warn the mate at once." Running to a telephone booth, and uh, yep, there's Alan taking the call. What? You crazy? Seen the captain? Sure. Oh, geez. Okay, there we go. Meanwhile, Tintin, uh, he says, "It's weird. Haven't the captain's not come yet?" Uh, Yes. Told him we go to the harbor master. Weird. Anyway, next morning we're having a lot of time shifts here, <laughs> like a lot of time shifts. Yeah. Next morning, uh, the guy answering the phone, uh, Tintin, who who nicely has changed his shirt uh, yeah. since the previous day, okay, uh, is now getting worried. Goes to the police, and uh, the police mentioned, oh no, we just let him go. He's been gone about five minutes. We brought in the last night for causing a disturbance. So, uh, when he left, he said he going to the harbor master's office. That uh, was very important uh, news for you. Uh, better hurry to catch him. Okay, so we're kind of getting the run around here. Yeah. Uh, fair enough. A little bit of time killing, running off. This does feel like a uh, soap opera strip right now. Seems okay. like the kind of business you do in a soap opera strip. Yeah. A lot yeah. of uh, building. You up. just you building missed him. You. There he's he's over there. Where is he? He's over there. We got to get to the house. What ha- that house over there? Next day. Are you at the house yet? What?
1: Ha- oh, the house. We got to get. Uh, are these two the two tiers? Just have such a great sense of movement to them with. We start, we, we end, so we end that that daily strip with Tintin running. Yeah. Important news, what can it be? He's running off to find out. We open up with him running down along a row of warehouses. He says, there he is. He sees the captain. We cut to the captain talking about the cariboujan, how surprised Tintin will be. And then Tintin gets this real sense of him slowing down because the captain, he's running. Yeah. The captain's striding forward. Then we see Tintin stopping, looking down at his shoelace, which is flopping around. Oh, my shoelace is coming down. Then a complete stop. He puts his foot up onto a bullock and starts to... uh to um, tie his shoe.
0: Because you need some look away. Yeah. Because he's got his eyes on the captain, so how's he going to do it? Yeah, when I first read that, it was just like, get on with it. You're stopping to tie your shoelace. Yeah. Ugh, just get on. But, yeah, it makes sense.
1: It's, uh, it's Well, it's good in lots of ways. Because, yeah, it's it's breaking up the story.
0: Yeah. It's very much, though, it is now a soap opera strip. Like, the the type of pacing that they have in the story now is radically different than the pacing in the, in the first half of yeah. the story.
1: Yeah, well... I mean we did get the magnifying glass bit and stuff like that. Those were very those were kinda of time was, wasty things. But that as was well.
0: that was time wasty, but that was more uh we're gonna do some comedy business. Now yeah. we're doing more comedy business. This yeah. is action strip, uh but delaying the action in the strip, which yeah. can be a bit frustrating.
1: I wonder how, how Hergé enjoyed doing it as a as a daily rather than as a Well if you like if you
0: liked those kind of strips, maybe it was an interesting
1: challenge for Yeah, him. it might have been.
0: So, I mean, uh, he's doing it really well, I think. He's doing, yeah, he's, he's doing fine. It's just, let's, let's get going. So um, so uh, Tintin's uh, spending some time trying to open a door. Finally opens a door. Uh, hits um, his head. By the way, it
1: hit his head, yes. That's great.
0: There you go. Looking, looking down. Uh, he's running. Too late uh, to catch the car. Uh, gets in another car. Is uh, moving backwards. There's a tow truck uh, towing the car away. It's a good funny gag.
1: It's a good gag. Uh, it's actually taken, it's from a Harold Lloyd film uh airj was a huge harold lloyd fan and i guess he saw this loved the joke so much that it kind of went into his his memory banks and just decided to use it yeah it's from uh, a 1924 film called girl shy nice where and
0: you were also a harold lloyd fan i am a
1: huge harold lloyd fan yes so
0: uh i am as well so i even enjoy like,
1: his sound pictures
0: let's say hooray for harold lloyd right now so tintin's on the run uh sees another car it's a ta- taxi Wants to get in. Uh, another guy's in there. ha-ha-ha-ha-ha-ha-ha type, a businessman type. But uh, Tinson says he's got to get to the hospital. Yeah, because he was just bitten by a, this mad dog. That's a good bit. Snowy gets a <laughs> uh, gets a nice reaction <laughs> shot there. to be a mad dog. Off the guy runs. Doesn't want his uh, rabies. The driver not minding rabies. Uh, is still willing to drive him places. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I guess there's a there's a there's a uh, partition between him and the dog though. Oh, you can see there's a. There's nothing, so the driver can't be bitten by the dog unless the dog can climb in through the window. That is
0: true. So, uh, quick, uh, driver, follow that car. No dice. The car is long since gone. Car is long gone. So now he's walking and sees two people uh, similarly dressed walking side by side uh, down the market. Who could it be? Thompson <gasps> it's and Thompson. The Thompsons. That's right. Uh, who are surprised that he recognized them in yeah, their wonderful disguise, in
1: spite of their disguise. <laughs> But to be fair, to make fun of them, we'll see Tintin disguised in a little bit, and I don't know if it's much better. Mm-hmm. So, um, so they tell, uh, so Tintin kind of fills them in on what's happening, and uh, then they mention that they just saw a uh, can of a tin of crab meat in a, in a in a local shop. So they head back to the store, and I think in kind of a mean way, they kind of bully this guy around, and then open up his tin of crab meat. Yeah, like they should, I hope they paid him for it because now his lunch is gone. Or whatever he was going to do with it.
0: Yeah, I disagree with that. That's uh, bad on him. Uh, and uh, and uh, but nothing inside, but uh, good crab, best quality crab. Well, what the heck? It's it's the crab, all right. I, I saw the same same tins aboard uh, the Caribou uh, and they contained opium. Huh, that's very weird. That's very odd. Uh, asked where he got the tin from. They fall to the market uh, for uh, Muhammad uh, Ben Ali. Uh, no dice. Uh, they hear a little sound, go behind a curtain, uh, go down some stairs, uh, too fast, as they do, <laughs> falling uh, yes. on their buttocks. Both of them uh, one after the other. That's right. Uh, they try to make their way back up and smash their heads, because that's who they are, even though Tinson says, mind mind your hat.
1: Yeah, I like he says, mind your hat, not mind your head. Yeah. Mind your hat.
0: You know what? He's worried about their hats. They've gone through, again, we've said this before, we'll say it again, too many hats. Yeah. Uh, the, uh, the owner of the shop, it looks like, uh, shows up. And is so upset he changes the color of his clothing from one panel to the next. <laughs> That's right. He just turns a purple with rage that outfit. Yeah, uh, you know. And yes, uh, uh, you or know, the owner of the shop. And uh, I'd like the name and address of the supplier who, told, who sold you these tins of crap. And uh, what? All right. Uh, they this good for this guy, by the way. He's uh, given them all the information they need instead of saying get out of my uh, shop. Yeah, you just broke in, went into my
1: cellar. Yeah. Anyway, good for him. Uh, it, so he says that uh, they came from. Uh, Umar Ben Salad, the biggest trader in Begar. Umar Ben Salad is a pun uh, that uh, somehow spells out lobster salad in French. Okay. So there you go, everybody. You're in on the secret now. There's no secret too small that I will not reveal it in this show. There you are. He's uh,
0: very rich. Very, very
1: rich. Has a magnificent
0: palace. Many horses and cars. Uh, Great estates in the South. He even has a flying machine. Uh, Which some people call an aeroplane. Well, that's, yeah, most people would call it an airplane because that's what it's called.
1: Well, most people, a lot of people call it an airplane. They don't put the O in it. So I can see this point.
0: Okay, fair enough. Uh, Tintin thanks him. Uh, Ask uh, the Thompsons to make discreet inquiries. No, of course, I'll make discreet inquiries about this Omar uh, Ben Salid, you know. Uh, one one good joke here. Here
1: they go. They finally started to get the idea of the, of the
0: to be precise. Yeah, we are the soul of discretion. Mums the word. That's our motto. Yes, that's our motto. Dumbs the word. It's a drag there that they don't use the to be precise because yeah. that would be where you put it. Yeah. They're oh, getting,
1: they're getting there though.
0: Almost, they're just beating around that bush yes. so much, and they keep avoiding the tasty berries. Yeah, they're right in front of you. Pick those berries, but eventually they will. So, uh, uh, Tintin uh, has to rescue the captain, but first he has to find the right clothes. He's going to get a disguise going. We don't yeah. know what that disguise will be. Uh, and the Thompson
1: uh, start following Mister Lobster Salad. That's right. And we get another splash page. This one not such a great cover. Nope, but a good, a good, good panel though.
0: Yeah, you wouldn't want this one too because you don't have Tintin on it. Exactly.
1: Big mistake there
0: so uh for a cover and not for this so they uh they follow him out for begging uh begging for alms bad on this person for not giving him some alms really should have some <laughs> so uh calls him a mangy dog which is a mean thing to say when you're next to a mangy dog uh and uh and speaking of uh, that insult to dogs uh the snowy distracts him uh, by getting a joint of I don't know what that is, but uh it, well, it looks be like ham, but, but it that's would, not it. Shouldn't true. be ham, lamb, <laughs> uh, maybe something. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, it's maybe weird. he's eating some camel. Who the heck knows? Uh, but that gives Tintin the opening he needs yes, to. Uh, and sneak Tintin's in. so
1: excited that his blue cloak turns green.
0: You know what? Maybe it's the maybe it's made of the same cloth that that other guy had. Yeah, <laughs> I think I it's
1: think a mood cloth. Yeah, it's a mood cloak.
0: Yeah, it he's goes, Excited. Everyone's got it. Yeah, you know, Haddock's wearing one. Everyone's wearing one. Yeah. So uh, so, uh, Tintin follows a uh, gentleman in uh, to the uh, cellar and uh, is looking around, uh, looking through some barrels, uh, but they're all uh, just barrels in this room. What's going on? Uh, gets startled slightly, but it turns out it's uh, just Snowy who's yeah. snuck in, eating his uh, joint of meat.
1: Once again, a weird pause uh, daily, that one. How so? What is, you know, having Snowy bark and then him be frightened? I mean, what was the point of that? Just to get
0: Snowy back. I guess. And also, the, oh, you know, uh, maybe there's some action. Yeah. Anyway, takes him down, looking around, trying to figure it out. Uh, you know, Snowy, I'm like a old uh, Diogenes uh, seeking a man. You've never heard of Diogenes. He was a philosopher in ancient Greece, and he lived in a barrel. Lived in a barrel? Wait, that gives me an idea. Bit of a stretch there, but fair enough. Yeah. Spots the barrels, figures it out that there's a door, goes inside, goes deeper inside, goes into a cave, goes down some stairs. I
1: like that there is a daily strip, and it was just wordless.
0: Yeah, it's pretty exciting, though. Yeah. Uh, by the way, it was a good time uh, to be a person who made underground caverns with stairs and whatever back in <laughs> 10 <Tintin's> day. <laughs> yes, sir. Yeah.
1: So, uh, would they and, be using ones that already existed? Do you think they had people making new ones? I don't
0: know if it's a make work project or not. Okay. I just say it's a good skill to have. Yeah. You know, I don't say make it your major, but if you want to minor in the underground cave building, yeah. there's going to be a lot of work. There's for probably you. a
1: public works program to sure. do with the Depression. Right. So, uh,
0: and in, in the bottom cave, uh, there's some crates, and uh, it, we got the cans of crab.
1: Yes, from the Caribou Jan.
0: Right. Uh, but then we're hearing uh, some swears, bandits, brutes. Well, not really swears, but uh, just names being called. And Tintin sees that the uh, captain is tied up and is being beaten with a stick.
1: Yes, by a character who, once the game, was originally black. Okay. In the in that in the story, but was changed to uh, make American censors happy.
0: All right, American censors. I'm not on your side. Uh, on I don't know. Boy, what a what a thing, huh? What a what a choice to make. Okay, but anyway, uh, Captain's
1: being beaten by a stick. That's right. Are you okay with censorship or what? Oh, that's so hard.
0: Yeah. So uh, uh, good old Alan gets a can to the face uh, full of crab, and uh, Tintin pulls out a gun. They untie the captain. Oh, so happy to see him. Uh, Captain, so happy he hugs Tintin and drops his gun onto poor Snowy's head. Uh, Then uh, it's not Alan that's uh, stepping Uh, Tintin and the captain make a run for it, uh, end up trapped, uh, only uh, in a wine cellar. And, uh, you know, they try to get in, but uh, wine is being thrown out at them. I think this is a mistake, having a, the captain in a wine cellar. But he's not well, drinking. He's, he's not drinking. No, he's uh,
1: using them as a weapon.
0: But the wine is being broken on the floor, and just the, just the vapor. The fumes, yeah. The fumes are making them all very, very drunk. <laughs> so, all of them.
1: Even Snowy. Is, yeah. Once again, dancing. As he is, is this his want when he gets drunk?
0: Yeah, he gets on his hind legs and does a little hind- uh, dance.
1: Does a cha-cha. Uh,
0: captain is singing Tarara boom is not the Papa? Maybe. I don't know uh, the song Tintin is uh, singing. They seem very deep in this wine. Like, this wine is uh, is at least a foot uh, full of wine there yeah. on, the fl- on the floor. Uh, and uh, so they're captured. They're, they're taken. And uh, then uh, a fight occurs. Uh, more swears. Harlequin. Uh, hydrocarbon. Aborigine. Uh, Polynesian. Uh, gyroscope. Oh, go ahead. Did I make, miss something?
1: No, no, that's no, fine. But it's it's interesting this part of it because he's yelling, in 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 uh, in the English version, they're all words for black a black person. Are they? Yeah, blackamoor.
0: Oh, anthracite,
1: okay. which is coal. Coconut, fuzzy wuzzy. That's a actual British slang yeah. for a black person. Cannibal refers to black person. Uh, Polynesian. Isn't that what he says, Polynesian? Uh,
0: no, oh yeah, Polynesian and then uh, gyroscope. He
1: calls him a uh, Aborigine. So that?
0: Oh okay. no, I've got that. I've got the yeah, blackamoor after right. Yeah, you're right. Oh,
1: yeah. An- Anthropithecus, which is a, which which is a a um, early human.
0: Blackbird.
1: Blackbird. Yeah, another one.
0: Yeah, these are all rough. Okay. So
1: now what's interesting? Because I was I thought I was looking at that. And I was thinking like, well, did did Hergé say that himself? So I, l- I looked at the French version of it. Yeah. Now, in the French version, he says Harlequin. Okay. He says hydro- hydro- hydrocarbon. Mm-hmm. But he says uh, he says Zulu. Mm-hmm. But he also says Kanak, which is a native or inhabitant of New Caledonia who uh, sought independence from, from France. So that doesn't seem quite as bad. He says Emplatra, which is a patch. A dorifor, which is an annoyingly persistent and pedantic critic. Mm-hmm. He does say Noir de Coco, so coconut uh douave, which was a member of the French Light Infantry Regiment in North Africa, or could also mean a woman's pants, particular style of woman's pants. And then uh it's interesting, so he's not uh and then he says, um in the in the French one he also says uh a version of Anthropithecus as well. So it's hard to know because he is using those words and so you don't know if he's using them to describe this person or if they're just being used as a mix of, of insults and general yeah, It seems
0: like it seems like insults for a black person and it seems like, you know, and again, hydrocarbon? Yeah, it's carbon would be black, black as carbon. I could see that maybe.
1: Well, hydrocarbon, I don't think is black. But okay. It seems a weird it's a, a, it's, a chemical. it's a it's a weird one that's a doryphor, like for an annoying and persistent critic.
0: Well, I don't have Dory for here no I'm
1: just saying but so they changed them like yeah. so Turner and, and what, what I'm saying here is like okay here's, here's the different. it's probably
0: oh this probably isn't great but uh what it, what I can eh, again it's like try to justify all right here's my try to justify uh it's the captain and he's not a great character he's not a good guy so his swears right now towards this guy being yeah. racial yeah this is a guy who's like let him burn throw him in the sea I'm gonna I'm gonna drink your head like he's not a posit like we know him uh, or you know him as the sidekick character at this mm-hmm. point he's not a sidekick yeah. he's a drunken captain yeah. you know who's not necessarily a good guy you know but, we like him but yeah. he's interesting but
1: when I originally read it, if
0: it was tintin yelling those things, that'd be a very different story.
1: When I originally read it, I wrote I wrote a post it and put it on. It says "not nice," pointing at that balloon with him saying "I'm going to give you words. that."
0: I'm going to definitely give it's not nice. And I'm that's not, why I was I'm curious because I was
1: of it. I was curious what Hergé, And I think Erjé mixed it up more. I mean, he does put those words in there, coconut and stuff like that, and I think those were uh, slang yeah. for black people. Later,
0: he's calling it saying "licorice." Yeah, so you know, okay. But he also says
1: anacolithon, which is uh, an ungrammatical sentence. So that's meaningless. this is a, a. Yeah. Those are just those are a Those are just harmless, either nonsense words like peace treaty. It's man. It's a or weird one. actual.
0: It's like it's like when you've got ten words and like seven of them are are could be racial slurs and then there's three mix-em-ups in there. Yeah. It is a weird one, eh? Yeah. Okay. Well, moving on as we must. Because I think there's less. Oh, no, we're not. We're we're going. Well, back. I just want to say that.
1: Go ahead. Harlequin. Nothing to do with any of that stuff. I just think that some of the words, like there's less in Herges. This is more of a mixture of stuff. So some of them are actual words that would have been used in insulting, insultingly of a black person. Right. And other ones are just pure nonsense, like peace treaty. You know, so it's like he's, it's like he hasn't quite got the hang of it yet either. Yeah. And Lonzo Cooper and and Michael Turner make it worse by by adding words that are actual. Yeah. You know, kind
0: of going half and a half on
1: it. They don't even go half and half. Those are all.
0: Yeah. I guess they're right. all in. Except for, yeah, as so you say, like, inter, you know. Well,
1: gyroscope is not. Yeah. But a lot of them are. It's just weird. It's just okay. weird. Okay.
0: So, uh, meanwhile, uh, the great uh, Omar Ben Salid has returned from the uh, mosque. Uh, Thompsons are uh, saying, well, let's go ask him a couple of questions. They are questioning him uh, and are very upset. The, uh, he's very upset at the idea that he's being accused of being a drug runner. Uh, and is yelling at them about this, uh, until the secret bookshelf behind him opens, smacking yeah. him in the head, knocking, the his, runs out. knocking his glasses off, <laughs> uh, a very drunk and sweary captain comes out, followed by a drunk, uh, Tintin, uh, followed by a, uh, bitey Snowy who bites him on the butt as he pulls a gun, uh, uh, trying to shoot, uh, Tintin. Uh, shoots up in the air instead. A chandelier comes down or a light and just lands on his head, uh, knocking him unconscious. Yeah. yeah. Where he lands on Snowy. <laughs> of course.
1: <laughs> of course, Snowy.
0: And uh, Tintin, uh, now out of the basement, and having been hit on the head, uh, sobers up quick.
1: Yeah. Anything like a concussion to make your head clear. Uh, so yeah, he shows, he tells the, t- the uh, Thompsons that uh, there was opium in his cellar and look, he's wearing a uh, two crab claws made of gold. Around his neck He is the ringleader
0: Ta-da They report him uh, they, the, the, the authorities can't believe it uh, But uh, the Thompsons are so adamant They raise up a cane While discussing it And more plaster falls down Onto their heads
1: Meanwhile uh, uh, Haddock chases the henchman Out onto the road Where he meets up With his friends The policemen. once again He says to them Ah see he says Arrest that negro I know See that's why Because it was uh, Left they, The character was changed from a, from a black guy to. How do you miss that? I think RJ, he didn't like these changes, so he just didn't want to change those things. So he just okay, left it in. But it makes no sense then.
0: And he's, first of all, it's not he's fine with it. Well, that's lovely. So he's fine with it. But it makes no sense story wise. So yeah. don't be fine with it. You know.
1: Yeah. If no, you
0: if you turn a, if you turn a goat into a duck, uh, then don't then don't go follow that goat. Yeah. You but if you were forced
1: that. to change the goat into a duck, yeah. Then, then
0: you know it still screws up your story eh. to all of a sudden call someone uh, that which you know. At the time, was a word that you would use. That's probably the least uh, bad of the bunch, but But it now makes no sense at
1: all. It wouldn't have been considered offensive
0: at all. I mean, no, I know it's not offensive, but again, as we said, like forget offensive. It makes no sense. Like you. No, no, I know. Yeah, you got to change. You got to change it all, or you don't change like one thing. Even if you're protesting, uh, (laughs) someone along the line, uh, fix that, guys. Next time you do a rewrite of this, page fifty-eight, top. Top of the page.
1: Yeah, it's curious that uh, Turner and Langston Cooper didn't just change it themselves while they're doing the translation.
0: Yeah. So, uh, so. They,
1: but I guess, well, when they did the original translation, they were probably they were working from the one with the black person in it as well. So it wasn't till they, till they did the American version after they had done their translation that, they, that 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 was changed and it's not really up to herge he's not I mean I guess just, it. Some, he doesn't it's up to the publisher to do this change whoever and they can be bothered. whoever
0: it was up to uh, fix that guys because that be makes worried.
1: no sense they couldn't be bothered.
0: Well, they be bothered now because it makes no sense uh, and you're gonna have to change the word anyway so fix it. So uh, he runs into the police officers, who he's uh, saying that, who are very familiar with this fellow, and think he just needs a bop on the head. And they give him one with their uh, nightstick. Yeah. Uh, also, that's sort of how you sober up in this world. If you've got uh, a bit of uh, drunkenness, uh, pounding on the head will uh, sober you up right quick. Concussion, the easiest way to clear your head. It <laughs> sure is. Then just get some sleep. So uh, the proud uh, Thompsons uh, present the man they have brought to justice, who seems very politely, or uh, very... Uh, peacefully sleeping uh, from his his concussion yeah uh, and, well, he uh, wasn't
1: drunk, so it didn't sober him up It just knocked him that's, unconscious
0: That's true The only way to survive, uh, to not be knocked unconscious yeah, Is to sure. go limp from being drunk That's obvious
1: cure for sports-related head injuries is The player should be drunk
0: Right, so now it's time to go get Alan So, off they go, uh, down the stairs, uh, checking for him uh, Nope, he didn't go this way, he must have gone the other way Come on, we got to go to the harbor He's a sailor, he'll probably uh, make for there And right Tintin is So, uh, the police are being called uh, from the harbor, the man jumped aboard a stolen motorboat, and he was gone in a flash. Uh, Tintin uh, and the Thompsons uh, get into the boat, and uh, as usual, uh, the Thompsons, when they ride with Tintin, yeah. will end up either on the street or uh, some, some somewhere else, and in this uh, case, they end up in the drink as they're trying to like <laughs> untether the boat. Yes. So, uh, so Tintin now is up against Alan in a boat-on-boat action sequence, which is very well-drawn boats.
1: Yeah, very very nice. And uh, once again, reading it, you, you can see the daily, the, you know, the daily, uh, the how it worked as a daily. So that but what's interesting to me is that um, he he's able to uh, what's the word I'm looking for? He's able to to kind of duplicate what he's doing, but without it being boring. Mm-hmm. So you can follow that from day to, from day to day without it without it uh, being completely confusing. So you know, you can see him fixing his net and then. Alan looking back, you know, devil take him. Boy, Alan has curly hair without his hat on, doesn't he? Yes, he does. It's a fine head of curly hair. And then, uh, you know, then we have the cut to the next day. The boats are charging after each other. Alan firing at it so you know it's a chase. And then Tintin hitting him on the hand. So that ends that day. And then the next the next day starts with them throwing the, note, the net on him. Yeah. So it kind of repeats it, but changes it slightly so it's not really dull. Well, what I like, too, is,
0: you know, it kind of bothered me in that first, first couple of panels because... Uh, Tintin's on the chase and he's just delayed by uh, something what is it it's a fishing net it just feels like oh, just get on with it but it's for a reason because why would else would Tintin have the net Yeah, he's got it and he tosses it on him that catches him
1: yeah a wet net thrown on al and then uh, then I like uh, I like this there's a sequence where the, the uh, policeman is watching this act activity through a telescope and giving us a color commentary and then or play by play and then uh, Haddock snatches the uh, the, the, uh, teles- the uh, telescope away from him to watch what's happening. He starts doing the color commentary or the play-by-play. And meanwhile, the policeman is ready to truncheon him to death.
0: <laughs> but he is, uh, his hand is stopped. Yes. That's right. So uh, everything's fine. Uh, and Haddock uh, welcomes uh, Tintin uh, back to the docks. Is there someone waiting for you up here? Congratulations, Mr. Tintin. Who is this chap? Well, it's the fellow we remember from the beginning of the story.
1: Yes. It turns out that he actually is Japanese.
0: Okay. that I was
1: right all along. Good, and that it's uh, Bunji Kiraki of the Yokohama Police Force. Mm-hmm. So here's uh, here is Hergé really letting that neutral flying that neut- uh, neutral flag high here because not only he it doesn't it doesn't have any Germans in this, but I mean Jap- Japan was also at war yeah. against the Allies at this point, point. and so but you know you gotta have to have a fair representation of all the sides, you know you don't want to judge anybody. We have to, you know, make sure that we are the, you know, the media between, between the different warring factions. We don't want to alienate anyone, anyone. So let's put in this character, a sympathetic Japanese character, after we had the Blue Lotus, which was very unsympathetic Japanese yeah. characters. This time we have a sympathetic one.
0: And uh, like uh, the professor in the last story, or maybe it was the previous story, uh, he has been kidnapped for the entire issue yeah. from the very beginning. Yeah. Like, Who's yeah. that guy? He's gone. Who's And then, oh, I've been kidnapped the whole time. Oh, well, nice to see you in the last couple of pages.
1: Yes, yeah, just so we can come in and give a long uh, bit of uh, exposition. Ex- exposition. Yeah.
0: Someone's got to yeah. do these exposition dumps, and it might as well be someone like him. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, just uh, was going to warn you about uh, the risk. Uh, Didn't do a really good job about it. Uh, But, you know, uh, he's saying one night I I met a sailor called Herbert Dawes, who was one of the crew and later was drowned. Uh, That's it. He was drunk and uh, boasted that he could get me some opium. Prove it. He showed me an empty tin, which he said contained the drug. I asked him to bring me a full tin the next day. But the next day he did not come and I was kidnapped. And that's, uh, and, uh, and they must have done away with him. That's why the bit of the label found on him with the word cariboujen. Uh, Bougen? Uh, in pencil. There you are. Yeah. Uh, well, I asked him the name of the ship, but he was so drunk, uh, I couldn't hear what he mumbled, so he wrote it on a scrap of paper. He put the paper in his own pocket. There you go. <laughs> Every uh, T crossed. Every eye dotted. Yes. All right. So the next one is uh, Tintin happily posing with hands on hips, listening to the radio. Yeah. <laughs> Very proudly. Uh, he well, likes it's... his radio. Why not?
1: Yeah. But we're yeah.
0: And he's being talked about on the radio, which is nice. Sure. And it's thanks to the young reporter Tintin, still a reporter, uh, <laughs> that the entire organization of the crowd with the Golden Claws today find themselves behind bars. This is the Home Service, and you're about to uh, hear a talk given by Mr. Haddock himself, a sea captain, on the subject of. Drink the sailor's worst enemy. Yes. Which you could just end there. That would be fine. But yeah. we still got some more. No,
1: I think the, I think it pays off. Okay. So we have a special delivery, some letters and a parcel for Snowy, and uh Tintin says, "I wonder what's in it." And he goes, "I don't trust this. It might be a bomb. Those gangsters are capable of anything." And he opens it up, and it's a and it's a bone, not a bomb. Aww. And it says to Snowy from an admirer, which is very nice. So now let's listen to the captain says Tintin. As as Snowy works away happily on his bone. And we have Captain Haddock saying, For the sailor's worst enemy is not the raging storm. It is not the foaming wave which pounds upon the bridge sweeping all before it. It is not the treacherous reef lurking beneath the sea, ready to rend the keel ascender. The sailor's worst enemy is drink. And he says, phew, how hot these studios are. We cut to Tintin hearing some glug, glug, glugs. And then Tintin, sorry, Haddock cursing. And then some noises. And Tintin says, what's happening? And so then we're told that something has happened to the captain. So Tintin phones the station, and we discover that the captain had the bad had some terrible effects after drinking a glass of water, <laughs> and he's lying in a chair, feeling looking rather woozy. And then we the end with uh, Snowy with the big the big bone he got from an admirer
0: and looking at us directly,
1: directly at us. Yeah,
0: yeah. maybe he got the bone from us. Maybe we're the admirers. <laughs> we're the
1: admirers. Yeah. Is
0: there an admirer that we should know is, or is it just a generic admirer here? Am I missing something? No, obvious I think there? it's just
1: a generic admirer. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Okay, yeah. that's interesting. Uh, but no, it's a good end gag to, uh, to go with. He finally had a drink of water, yeah, and that just knocked him completely yeah. out. Fair enough. No, it's good stuff. Yep. It's uh, good stuff. It's, it's an interesting pacing shift uh, in the second half of the book. Uh, does it maintain, does the next book, I don't want to get too many spoilers, but does this daily strip aspect continue in yeah. the next story? Yeah, from
1: now, from, from as long as he's writing, or writing and drawing for the Le Soir, it'll be for da- as daily strips. Okay. So it's going to be a different different feel in the next book as well. Okay.
0: And the next book will be uh, The Shooting Star. Yep. Uh, now, is there anything else that you wanted to uh, yeah. cap
1: things off with? I just wanted to uh, just say a little bit about the... Um final part of the publication and a little bit about um just the last little bit of history of this time for for herge well we talked about golden books so we don't really need to talk about that so and like we talked about last time the crab with the golden claws and king Ottokar's scepter were two of the first books that were published uh, by methuen there was an attempt by by um casterman to publish um the uh, secret of the unicorn and rat rackham's uh treasure in britain they put out their own version of it in English, with their own English translation, just after it was published by the Eagle. After the Eagle did a version of King Arthur's Scepter, they thought they tried themselves, So they, but it didn't fly at all. It didn't do very well at all. And so it was not for another six years that Methuen decided to try to publish them and brought in uh, Lancel Cooper and Turner as the translators. And they translated every Tintin book. So okay. there's that continuity as well as their own development of understanding the characters that brings out more as it goes along. The only problem is is that they did not do them chronologically. So it kind of messes with their minds. But, and that's why there is some, some problems in that way. Um, so in terms of golden books, they did publish the four books, King Otakar's Scepter, The Secret of the Unicorn, Red Rackham's Treasure, as well as The Crab with the Golden Claws in 1959. And then they, the next year they published Destination Moon and Explorers on the Moon. But unfortunately, it just never caught on, and they did not have the stick-to-itiveness to keep on trying. And so ev- eventually, in the mid-70s, uh, Little Brown started publishing them, and they just published the Methuen versions. They didn't even do their own translations. Um, so also what was happening, uh, Hergé uh, had a meta-friend, met, met a guy named Jacques Van Malkybeek, or Malkybeek, I don't really know how to say his name, but uh, he was an illustrator and a humorist. And... He started to help Hergé with Les Soir Jeunesse, and they also wrote a play together. They wrote a play called the uh, is called Tintin in the Indies or The Mystery of the Blue Diamond. And not only was it a stage play, it was also a musical. Hmm. And Tintin was played by a, a girl, Jean Jean Rubens. And basically, it borrows its setting from the second half of the Scars of the Pharaoh. So it's them looking for this blue diamond for the, for Maharaja. And it premiered at the Theatre Rail, the Galerie Saint-Hubert in Brussels on the 15th of April, 1941, and around for three weeks, which wasn't bad. Unfortunately, any trace of it has completely disappeared. So there's mm. no script or anything for us to know exactly what happened. But what was significant that night was that was the night that, on opening night, Hergé was introduced to E.P. Jacobs, to Edgar Jacobs, and that was how they met each other, and that was how eventually Jacobs would come to work with Hergé. That's a little ways off, but this is the very first step on that road. Oh, neat. And that is all I have to say today.
0: <laughs> I doubt that's the case. Um, but hey. Final Dave, thoughts? Dave will say more things probably before
1: the end of this. Final thoughts? You kind of give us your final thoughts on it?
0: My final thoughts. Uh, no, I thought this was uh, very snappy, yeah. uh, moved, moved along uh, at a good pace. I kind of miss a little bit of the travelogue aspect of the earlier Tintins where you learn a bit more about the land yeah you know you learn things like you take your shoes off when you go to a mosque you do get that yeah you know and i think the way to do that kind of uh, information is through humor and doing it through the thompsons is a good way to go about this yeah but i i miss a bit of that uh it was a little jarring with this having all the splash pages that does break up the pace and takes you out of it for a step yeah you're like well what's the reason for this so uh yeah pacing wise uh this one threw me off a little bit it was a good snappy story i like the uh Haddock character, uh, I obviously I've seen him on the cover of others' uh, yeah. stories, uh, so I know he's coming up yeah. uh, more. I hope uh, they don't uh, Fonzie him. I hope that they don't uh, make this side character who's interesting and a nice bit of flavoring. I hope he doesn't dominate the books in the future. Does he? You've read them probably. I haven't. Maybe he does. We'll see. But I like a little tuss- a touch of him. Yeah. You know, it's is fine. I'm curious to see where they're going to go with him. Uh, but hey, let me, as always, throw this now out to you, uh, the, listeners. To uh, no, oh, no, the listener. To me? No, 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 no. If you've, uh, if there's anything that you want to say about these books, or something you think that we've missed, or a topic you want to hear discussed on the show based on things we've already discussed, uh, please go to SneakyDragon.com. That is our website. It's, a, it's also the website for our other podcast, Sneaky Dragon. So if you want to hear us, by the way, talk about things other than Tintin, you could do that. We also had a podcast called Completely Beatles. It's all us yapping. But anyway, if you go to SneakyDragon.com, that's where you will find our message boards. And uh, we love to hear from you on facebook we are we do have a totally tintin page uh we are sneaky underscore dragon on twitter and as always we ask you this favor if you are up for it uh if you could go to itunes and give us uh, some sort of review that helps more people to find out about our podcast we at least in canada have been featuring nicely on the new and notable section of you know uh, uh arts podcast so that's been very nice uh, but yeah it would help just to get people uh listening and and bring more uh people to the show. We like you. We're happy with you guys. You are we you're special to us. Yeah. These people that are going to join up later. Not as special. The we show. got something we got something going on yeah. you and I. All right. Anyway, uh, we would love to hear from you and I think that's about it for now. I'm Ian Boothby. I'm David Edrick. And this has been totally Tintin. Join us next time for The Shooting Star.